Got a cast, got a cast, got a cast. It's dead lovely. We got a cast podcast. It's dead lovely. Wow. Might as well jump. <laughs> and over. <laughs> and done. No more David Lee Roth. <laughs> Welcome, dead and lovely listeners, to this week's installment of Dead and Lovely, your favorite horror movie review podcast. In all the many realms of the multiverse. Steve, how are you doing mm-hmm. today, man? Man, I'm doing G-R-E-A-T. Yeah? What have you been doing? Yeah. Um. Well, uh, today I've been writing something. I can't talk much about it. I've been writing something. I uh, think it's very interesting. Yeah? I also came up with a stupid idea that I'm going to pitch to you right now. You Hit ready me. for this? I like it already. All right. Okay. A supervillain who hacks genetic material to create an army of mutants to fight for him. Name, Gene Hackman. (laughs) But, like, he doesn't realize how ironic it is. And he's like, what? I'm hacking the genes. He has no idea. (laughs) Everybody's like, you know, like Gene Hackman? Yeah. Exactly. Yes, but Gene Hackman. (laughs) I'm you on know. board with that. I think that's pretty dope. Yeah, exactly. I mean, listen, <laughs> that's the genius uh, that you come up with when you're working on something else, but then for some reason your brain is like, no, but also this. Yeah, how about maybe this instead? Just wild card <laughs> idea, Gene <laughs> Hackman. And throw that in there. That would totally fit this. <laughs> I'm a big fan of this already. I think that this sounds like an awesome idea. Awesome. So what have you been up to, Ben? Dude, a whole lot of everything. As we record this, this is about a week out before I go out to the West Coast, a.k.a. the Best Coast, yeah. for the 2018 Winter NAM Convention, which is kind of like what E3 is for video games. NAM uh-huh. is for... Uh, Guitars? Mu- yeah, musicians just in general. Cause it's, oh, oh, you let other ones come? Like even bass players? Yeah, they let bass players in. Um, even drummers? I'm coming for you, Grimes. <laughs> yeah. They'll let drummers in if they're accompanied by musicians. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> actually, though, it's actually my, my, my buddy Andy Wood really summed up the whole experience very well, where he described it as um, it's like Guitar Center, but bigger, or hell, but smaller. Because <laughs> it's awesome, and it's one of those things where, you know, really the reason you go out to NAM. You know, for one, is work and stuff. Like, I'm playing a couple of shows and stuff while I'm out there and, and you know, playing at some, some booths and stuff like that. Um, uh-huh. But it's really just a great excuse just to see all your friends and hang and stuff because everybody, yeah. everybody goes out to these things and stuff. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, so it should be cool, but, you know, getting ready for that, being out for a week, that means that we're yeah. trying to catch up on multiple episodes of our show. We're trying to... Um, put together a whole bunch of YouTube videos and stuff on my channel. That way I'll have content up while I'm out. So it's kind of like yeah. just trying, trying to cram in, you know, two or three weeks worth of work into like one week plus getting ready to play. I'm really excited, man. While we're out there, uh, we're playing a show at slide bar, which is kind of a cool hangout in the LA area. Okay. And, um, Andy put it together, but it's Nick Johnston, who's a fabulous guitar player. He's playing a set. Uh, Mark Letary from the band Snarky Puppy. Have you ever listened to them? I have not. They're fabulous. They're kind of like a really complex, like jazz fusion, kind of jammy 
really groovy, okay. real dirty, groovy band. They're awesome. But their guitar player, Mark Letary, is playing a set. And then I'm playing bass with Andy Wood. We're doing a set. And then I'm also playing with Andy Timmons, who is one of my favorite guitar players ever. I mean, he's fucking legendary. So I'm getting to play bass for his band for this show. So I'm really excited about that. So I'm trying to just cram and rehearse as much as humanly possible. Wow. That sounds like hell. Is it hell? <laughs> is it fun or is it hell? I don't know. I'm going to put it as heck. I don't think it's quite that bad. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's heck. Yeah. Heck is where you go if uh, you weren't a Christian your whole life, but you also didn't swear. Yeah, exactly. You go to heck. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta heck. If, <laughs> if if you got if you got easily offended by things, but you also were like, "Well, I'm not gonna go to church." <laughs> you gotta you heck. to heck. Da- uh-huh. Dang you to heck. <laughs> you do, and you get danged. Oh, <laughs> what have you been doing this week, man? Man, uh, it's it's not been long since we last recorded, but um, I've been writing. I've been writing a lot, um, and that. Uh, usually means sitting a lot. So I've also been um, trying to walk more and, and, and get uh, more exercise in because sitting is a no good for you. Yeah, apparently. And that that's one of those things that I've become increasingly aware of the older that I get and the more that I spend time, you know. Yeah. Sitting in a chair eight hours a day playing guitar and yeah. teaching and stuff like that, you know. Where and then you stand up and you're like, why do I hurt? I've <laughs> yeah. been sitting. <laughs> why is everything bad now? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've kind of gotten in this habit where, you know, especially with Skype lessons and stuff like that, a lot of times in between lessons, you know, I'll just, I'll jump up and do 15 jumping jacks or a couple of push-ups oh, and stuff yeah. like that. Just in between mm-hmm. lessons, just to get blood in my extremities again, you know. Yeah, that's um, that's a good idea. I like to do. Um, we have a stationary bike. I also like to um, do some uh, push-ups, sit-ups, some squats, etc. Just to you know, make sure the old man blood doesn't get stuck, <laughs> because that's what causes you death. Exactly. Yeah, that'll cause you to be a dead. There's also a really mm-hmm. great exercise technique called frantic masturbation. Have you ever tried that? Oh, yeah, 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 because if you do it standing up especially, like, whoa. I Like, if you do it laying down, that's called meditative masturbation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you do it standing up, yeah, that's frantic, and you you want it to be like you're afraid someone's going to walk in the room type of frantic. Yeah, totally, totally. Like, I'm on on a tight time schedule here kind of thing. Yeah. That could burn anywhere between, like, 35 to 170 calories per sesh, so... Oh, without a doubt. And I'm kind of trying to work on (laughs) modifying it with these other techniques where I'm also, like, doing jumping jacks. Um, Oh, yeah? And masturbating. Yeah, but the problem is, is then you start dealing with the workout effectiveness to mess ratio. Uh Uh-huh. Because it it can get kind of wild. Yeah, I imagine... (laughs) Dropping loads while jumping jacks? <laughs> That's too many activities. Too many, Choose sir. one. Uh-huh. <laughs> and a welcome to our female listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, both of our wives. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> we have other we have we have uh, other female listeners. Hi, ladies. Hey. Ladies. I'm sorry. Hello, women. Ladies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you been watching anything good lately? Uh, yeah, I'm watching something that I know is good. The Hex Files. Oh, sick. Like, the, the OG? 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the new there's a new season on yeah, Fox yeah, yeah. right now, and uh, I watched the the three episodes that have been out. Um, it it just reminded me how much I love the show. I enjoy it. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, if if you don't enjoy it, it's like, um, I believe Mike Mitchell of the Doughboys has said this about the Netflix reboot of Full House. Um, it, it's you asked for it. What did you expect? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that really sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the X-Files. Like, did you expect it to be not the X-Files? Like, you expected it to be like... Because, like, the thing people... Some people love about the X-Files is the Monster of the Week episodes. It's actually most people probably love those the most. Yeah, totally. But, like, if they're going to do a season of episodes, they're not just going to do, you know... A bunch of those, monst- yeah. Yeah, like, they're going to want to, you know, expand the... Um, the mythology of the series and, and explain why it is that these old people are, uh, you know, solving these X-Files now. Like, they want to make it make sense. So, you know, if you have complaints about it, there is one thing you can always do. You just don't watch it. Yeah, you could try that. I also really yeah. wish that, like, that quote was something that Pinhead used. Like, when somebody opens up the box and, like, <laughs> hooks fly into their flesh, I wish he would just yeah. appear and be like... You asked for it. What did you expect? <laughs> what did you expect would happen, <laughs> sir? That's cool. Yeah, I, I enjoy that original X-Files series a lot. I actually never yeah. finished it, man. We started watching it. Oh, really? Yeah, and yeah. I don't know why we didn't finish it. I think it's one of well, those it's things. It's a lot of episodes. It like, is. Because I think every season is at least 20 episodes or above, and there are nine seasons uh, before the two, that the more recent so and especially like uh, that eighth and ninth season people weren't happy about because Mulder was gone Uh, but I think you know if you go back and watch uh, those episodes there's some real good episodes in those uh, seasons Um, uh, Robert Patrick and Annabeth Gish and uh, still uh, Scully herself Gillian Anderson were were in the, the episode so there are some real good episodes and there are a lot of, that are written by people who wrote the episodes leading up to that. So if the only thing you loved about the X-Files was Mulder, yeah, of course it's terrible, but um, I think those seasons are good. Right on, man. I need to finish it one day, dude. I, I feel like it's just one of those ones that we were watching and we were really enjoying it and then probably, you know, a new season of Game of Thrones came on and then we watched that and then we watched something yeah, else. Yeah, that makes sense. Just got left behind. That would be a good thing to transfer to, because like when you're dealing with twenty something episodes a season, you're dealing with at least five or six stinkers, or you know, like it's real hard to get every episode uh, to to be great. Yeah. But Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny were always awesome. Gillian Anderson is uh, fucking amazing and one of uh, young Steven's crushes, and now. Old Stevens still crush, yeah, because she is still an attractive woman, of course. But like, uh, she's so good in that, and she was so young. And I, I remember when I watched it when I was a younger kid, I was always like uh, frustrated by Scully because it was like it's obvious they're aliens. But then, like watching it as an older gentleman, I'm like, no, no, she's right. Like she's right to be skeptical of all this shit. It's it sounds like crazy nonsense, and a lot of the times ends up to be wrong. So uh, she's not wrong. And if you're frustrated by her, you're just frustrated by the way stories develop. (laughs) Maybe that's a problem. (laughs) 
Yeah, if you're if you don't like that uh, uh, somebody's having a good day and then something happens that makes it hard for them and then they have to figure it out, you don't like a story. Yeah, you might not like story. You might be a redneck. <laughs> you might be a redneck if <laughs> Shonies. <laughs> Man, I've been watching some fucking good stuff lately. We just got done watching Old Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I mm-hmm. uh, hadn't seen that since theaters. Guess what? Yeah, it's awesome. Still great, yeah. Still, Still great. great. Actually, I think I like it better this time than I did the first time. Yeah. Kurt Russell's awesome. Kurt Russell's fucking awesome, man. And two, you know, it's like, I feel like a dude that just does not get the credit he deserves is Michael Rooker. I know. Michael Rooker's fucking awesome. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I knew what you were going for. Yep. Michael Rooker doesn't get the credit he deserves because a lot of times he plays scumbag roles. Oh, totally. And he's amazing at it. Yeah, it's hard to forget that he's not the scumbag, because um, he's fucking awesome at playing a scumbag. Oh yeah, <laughs> especially if you've seen Henry or you know, uh, um, Slither in the Heat of the Night. Slither, he's a bad, bad, bad man. Yep. Initially, I got to know him as the stink palm guy from Mallrats. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> and then, like years later, I saw. Henry Portrait Serial Killer, and I was like, oh my god, Stink Palm guy is fucked up. Yep. But he, actually, he's he's not. I mean, if you ever uh, hear oh, him in interviews cool and stuff, shit, dude. seems like a real cool dude. Yeah, he does, uh, man. I, I mean, he plays racist Merle in The Walking Dead, but uh, he's he's not that he's not that way himself. He's a cool dude. Seems to um, enjoy liquor, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I do <laughs> he too. seems like the type of guy that would uh, be fun to drink with. I think so, too. It's hard to say that it's, like, as good as the first. I mean, the, that first Guardians is just fucking yeah. solid gold. But it was also it was also out of nowhere. It exactly. was so unexpected. Like, even though they had done some weird shit with Marvel up to that point, that was just, like, out of nowhere. I know, man. That's, that's one of those that's kind of like Shrek syndrome, where it's like, Shrek 2... And three and four and yada yada, they can never be as good as that first one because uh-huh. we just didn't know what to expect. I love that on a horror podcast we're talking about Shrek, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's like it's that same well, like he shock is a factor. monster. That's true. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but there's that same factor of just like I did not know what to expect. I mean, yeah. when they said they were doing a Guardians movie, you know, it's like it's all these not even B-list characters. Those are like fucking D-list characters. Oh, yeah. And then they turned into solid gold. And they also Uh just made a blueprint for DC of being like, hey, guys, look, this is how you could make Suicide Squad work. And and DC was like, no, no. (laughs) We got to win our plans. Oh, I just don't get it, man. I don't get it. It's like they they watched it and they're like, okay, all right. So you get characters nobody's ever heard of. Got it. Get Uh them played by some charismatic actors. Uh, there's licensed music in it, so I guess you put mm-hmm. it in like every scene, and that'll be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miss the point entirely. Hey, listen now, no, they didn't, because obviously Suicide Squad's great. You just described it to me, and it had <laughs> all the things that Guardians of the Galaxy had. Yeah, especially it took a beloved character, uh, Howard the Duck or Joker, uh-huh. and um, dealt with them appropriately. <laughs> totally, know? totally worked. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so that was that was Fuck enjoyable. Suicide. One. Oh, dude, oh, so Jesus bad. Christ. It's so fucking bad, dude. And it, it should have been easy to make that awesome. Yeah, exactly. I uh, listen. Go back and watch the Justice League episode. Justice League uh, cartoon from 
the early 2000s, the episodes with Suicide Squad missions in them, and they do they do it perfectly well. They oh, use really? these, yeah, they use these uh, sort of uh, rando characters, Captain Boomerang, etc. They have Amanda Waller. It's obvious that there's something scuzzy about the mission, etc. Like, it's great. So in other words, what they should have done. Yeah, exactly what they should have done. Damn. Mm-hmm. I also started watching. And it's funny because like the other night, Kate and I were watching uh, Boz Burgers on Hulu, which this season right. has been so fucking good. Have you been yes, watching this season? Yes, it has. Actually, yes, actually, I was gonna say that's uh, Emily and I just uh, rewatched because they just had the newer episode last Sunday. Yeah, so Valentine's we rewatched episode. from the beginning. Yeah, nice. and it's so good. That Valentine's episode was so fucking good. I want that limo driver mm-hmm. to be a character always. Yes, so awesome. I love too that like the girls went and got like their their like makeovers done and stuff and you just saw Linda had her like cool hair and uh-huh. Tina just like kind of wavy and then Louise got like the fucking pointy teeth face paint makeup yeah shit. It's so good <laughs> so fucking awesome and they kept it the whole rest of the episode yeah <laughs> and it was so it worked so good I love that so show good. so much but we were watching that and then. Um, you know, it got through the credits and then Hulu just decided to randomly start playing the next thing it thought that, that we would enjoy, which was, uh, Broad City. I love Broad City. Dude, we've just watched maybe two or three episodes of it. Uh Uh-huh. I had no clue what it was. I mean, it just started like auto playing. I think Kate had watched a couple episodes before. It's one of my favorite shows. It's hilarious, dude. And it's It's so good. It's the kind of thing where like... Through a lot of it, I'm not necessarily even laughing out loud. I'm just kind of sitting there with my jaw open like, what the yes. fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Man, that's such a great show. I think I may have mentioned it sometime earlier on in the podcast, but like, my wife and I have been watching it since season two, I guess. We started there. And man, so funny. Every episode, just so great. Uh, I love Hannibal Burris in it. He's so hilarious. He yes. plays, uh, um, have you seen him? He plays the dentist boyfriend. Yes, he is yeah. fucking hilarious. I actually didn't know that so that was good. him for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, he's hysterical, dude. And I think the I think the last one that we watched was when um, the one chick had like her art put up in that gallery that was just a sandwich uh-huh, shop. Abby. Uh-huh, and, Abby's awesome. And they got I like maced Abby. and stuff, and they got locked out of their apartment, <laughs> and they called that, that locksmith that was that weird fucking pervert guy. Uh-huh. I would um, I would be okay if my wife left me for Alana Glazer. Yeah, like that's okay, fair enough. I, yeah, it's fair. I was gonna say I'd leave my wife for Alana Glazer, but I wouldn't. But if my wife left me for her, I'd be like, you know what? Fair upgrade. Makes sense. She's awesome. You go, yeah. girl. <laughs> Which one is Alana? Which one is she? Alana's a big, uh, puffy, crazy hair. Okay, the 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 kind of Jewish girl. Uh huh. Well, she is. Yeah, she's totally Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She is fucking awesome and hilarious. There's. Um, yeah. I might. No, I think it was an episode before that one. Is the one where she was like, always like sleeping like in the bathroom stall at her workplace, uh-huh. and she took the <laughs> temp job and all that shit. God, yeah. it's just like they're just so trashy and and stupid, uh-huh. but it's like so real at the same time. I really enjoy yeah. it. It's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, man. That show and Key and Peel are two shows that my wife have watched several times and just like can't get enough of. Dude, so funny. Key and Peel is out of control, hilarious. Yeah. Like, it's some of the funniest shit that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. 
It's so fucking good. It's like every now and then, because I've, I've actually never sat down and just watched the show. I've, I've just watched a bunch of... Really? You yeah. see it on uh, Comedy Central. It's, uh, it's real awesome to sit down, because it's all on Hulu. Okay. Oh, sick. I didn't know that. Yeah, sit down from episode one to, to the end, because like, you see characters developing stuff and the way they like take old sketches and make new stuff out of them it's, it's really awesome everything i've seen I've, I've just died laughing and you know somebody will just pull up some random skit that i hadn't seen uh-huh. and i'm like oh my god this this completes my life it's so good so <laughs> i'll definitely have to sit down and just watch watch it episode by by episode i also yeah. watched a um a little movie oh yeah by a man what is named clive barker Right. By the title of Hellbound, Hellraiser, Part 2. Hellbound, colon, Hellraiser, Roman numeral 2. <laughs> Throwing out all the stops. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I had seen it, I think, once mm-hmm. years ago. Like, actually, I think it was probably about four or five years ago. Um, I decided one Halloween season... And I, th- I feel like I mentioned this on another on another episode or something, but I made it my mission. I was like, I'm just going to watch all the Hellraisers this Halloween. Yeah. And uh, I did. Of course, I'd seen the first one by then, which is one of my favorite fucking horror movies ever made. And uh, I recall thinking that the second one was Dynamite 2. I really liked it like as equals with the first one. I would say you did not have total recall. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Uh, because having gone yeah. back and watched it again, I do not think that it is it is at that level. This movie is shit. Do you think so? Yeah, it's bad. It's real bad. Anybody out there who thinks that I'm wrong, watch it again. If you still think I'm wrong, we just disagree. It's shit. This is a piece of shit movie. Damn. I don't know if I feel that strong about it maybe mm. i'm just a sucker for some of the the various elements of the flick and it kind of tides me over enough i love some of the visuals love some of the gore yeah etc uh, i love a, uh, i love a bit that it adds to the lore of the hellraiser universe but yeah overall jesus christ i suffered through this movie and i only <laughs> this is the only movie we've ever done i only watched once because i was like no nah, wow. i'm not watching i don't really? want to see it again yeah Damn. Well, you did have an interesting revelation while we were texting earlier uh, yeah. about, about the movie. Because I was like, man, what should we do for our intro topic here? Yeah. And you had a stunning pre-noon revelation. Yeah, I did. Uh, th- that was that the 90s uh, wrestling stable, the Ministry of Darkness with Undertaker, is basically uh, a group of Cenobites. <laughs> yep. I think that you're right. They had they had Viscera. Oh, that's the Butterball guy. Totally. Right? Yeah. Uh, Undertaker's Pinhead, obviously. Clearly. Uh, they didn't have any female wrestlers in that stable, so I'm gonna say that the Big Boss Man is the female Cenobite. <laughs> He's also kind of Butterbally too. Yeah, and then Midian is the 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 chatterer. Yeah, so I would go. definitely say so. So, in celebration of that interesting revelation, we're gonna spend a little bit of time before this episode celebrating our our white trash roots because if you guys if you guys didn't know from our outrageous accents we are both (laughs) southern hillbilly east tennessee pieces of shit so we definitely grew Mm -hmm. up watching so much 
of the Razzlin. So much Razzlin. Oh, God, yes. So we want to spend Fuck a little yes. bit of time talking about some of our other favorite uh, tag teams, factions, and so on through our classic late 80s, early 90s, uh, even on into the mid-90s and stuff, wrestling viewing habits. Uh, that shit, dude, I loved so much when I was a kid because yeah. here's the thing that you got to remember, dude. As a kid, I was all about, you know, comic books and stuff. I loved, uh-huh. I loved, loved, yeah. loved, especially Marvel Comics. And in the pre, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe era that we're in now, you know, back at that time period, you couldn't fucking make Thor. You couldn't make Iron Man. You couldn't yeah. make any of this shit. Seeing these, you know, Razzlin superstars, it was like the yes. closest thing that I could get to seeing exactly. heroes and villains in real life. It's like they were coordinating a comic book fight yeah exactly it spoke directly to me and now it's one of those things that i just think is hilarious and it's such a weird weird cultural phenomenon that yes we're all entranced by the shit that we know is to a degree you know scripted out and stuff and these are characters you know these are people playing the parts of characters and shit but we just nod our heads and go with it. It's the weirdest well, obviously, thing. Obviously, yeah. But it's the yeah, best thing. Yeah, because like, it's it's our mythology. Like, yeah, we're we've left religion behind. I mean, there's still a ton of religious people. That's fine. But we, uh, in general, have left religions behind. Our new mythology is pop culture, and our favorite mythology is comic books. It's <laughs> the thing that we we know that can just like all mythology can change and be weird and different and a character can be radically different in different stories and we're just fine with it yeah we don't care we just want to see those characters in different situations yep it's awesome yeah and it's like it's funny you're comparing to mythology and stuff like that because there's so much stuff throughout uh greek mythology and norse mythology and so on where you have characters doing things that contradict things that they did in other stories. I mean, hell, you have that yeah. in the fucking Bible, <laughs> too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we love the characters and relate to them and stuff, so we just go with it. Yeah. Like, no matter what you look at, you're going to see stories that come along that's going to be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would that character do that? But it's it's been told over and over because people like it. And because people like it, they associate themselves with it. That's what makes a mythology into a religion basically yeah. is that people start to associate parts of themselves with it and then somebody comes along and fucks it up absolutely but- <laughs> so and the thing about a lot of the stuff that's on my kind of my kind of list here as some of my favorite old school WWF and WCW factions and stuff is uh-huh. for me you know I have a, I have an older brother who's like 3 years older than me and so we were both just yeah. white trash wrestling fans when we were kids, and we especially loved the tag teams because then, you know, we could pretend and, and wrestle and be like those yeah. tag teams. It's like, oh, you know, you're Axe and I'm Smash or whatever. It's like yeah. having a brother to be into this stuff with and then reenact and so on and go out on the trampoline and horse around as, you know, yeah, the Legion of Doom or whatever just made it extra cool. So to me, the tag teams and stuff really stand out. Who's somebody you got on your list that you'd like to talk about? Well, man, listen. Growing up, um, my boat, my great grandmother would 
always watch WCW or NWA if they were on. She would always have them playing. So when we would go see my great-grandmother, she would have matches playing. She was all about it. She loved it. Yeah. She also always watched Braves games. She was awesome. Dude, that's another part of being like a redneck from growing the south. up in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, dude. For some reason, we all love the Braves. Well, because the because TBS showed, like, if you try now to watch baseball, if you're like, I want to get into baseball and be a baseball fan, to do it, you have to invest in the MLB network. You can't just watch baseball. Really? Any day. It's insane. Like, ESPN will have some on, etc., but mostly it's the MLB network. But back in those days, Turner Broadcasting System was showing every Braves game. And Saved by the Bell at 435. And Saved by the Bell, yes. So, TBS. Remember they always ran their shit like five minutes over the line? So it would be at 505? I think, yeah, I think they did that to be different. I think they did that so that you could, um, you could skip away from a show that you started to watch on another station and didn't like and then catch the beginning of one of their shows yeah like if it was a rerun or something you wouldn't miss the new whatever ted turner he was pretty pretty bright man yeah (laughs) he's good at making money yeah but um i also growing up my dad was a wrestling fan and um my earliest memory and one of the the teams i want to talk about is my dad uh, this is one of my earliest memories. My dad and a bunch of his drunk friends taking me to an NWA house show in Atlanta. No way. Uh, yeah. And seeing the Russian team, Nikolai and Ivan Volkov, get up in the, the ring. And my, my dad and his, this was like the, the headliner of the night. And my dad and his friends were so drunk at this point. And they were talking about how they were going to whoop those Russians. Oh, shit. They were just talking about it over and over, like, we're going to whoop those Russians. And um, after the match and, like, you know, everybody's cheering and stuff, I was like, Daddy, when do you guys get to wrestle? (laughs) Like, because I I didn't get it. It's your turn now. I think I was like like four, maybe, Mm -hmm. or five. Uh, No, I was definitely four. Um, And I I didn't get that wrestling wasn't just people running out of the crowd (laughs) and fighting each other. I wish it was. I I wish it was so bad. Like, I knew that, like, you know, there were some of the same people, but I just assumed they showed up every night. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of the shows you would see back then would be Hulk Hogan wrestling somebody you would never see again. Yeah, scrubs all the time, scrubs. Yeah, just some jobber that you were never going to see again. <laughs> and so, like, I thought it was just people running out of the crowd. Awesome. That's badass. <laughs> I wish that's how it was. And then the one, two, three kid proved me right. I was literally about to say that. Holy shit. I remember when yeah. that happened, dude, because it's like we had spent so much time as kids, like you said, watching some, like, all-star just destroy uh-huh. some scrub and it's like you just you knew it it's like the whole first 40 minutes of monday night raw was just jobbers getting eliminated yeah and so it was kind of getting to that point of just like absolute monotony and then they let the one two three kid win yeah and it was like what anybody could win I know. he beat razor ramon <laughs> is that who he beat i couldn't remember yeah, and the ref counted it. Remember, it's like the thing was that like uh, I remember how shocking that was because it was like he runs in from out of the crowd and pins him, and the ref 
counts it. Yeah. Like, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) He's just some dude from the crowd that they announced at the beginning of the match. And if anybody wants to get up here, give it a shot. Come up at any moment. (laughs) I like to do that. The way that a lot of those refs would behave back in the days, it's just like, man, what is the training like to become a, a WWF efficient? Yeah. You know, where it's just like, oh, so somebody's somebody I haven't even seen is pinning this other guy. I guess I should probably start counting. Yeah. I, I mean, before you realize, like, before you understand that it's scripted, I'm not going to say fake because fake uh, upsets wrestling fans and uh, it isn't true, honestly. I mean, yeah. to say it's fake and people get hurt, like, People are really taking some real hard bumps and oh, things, God, yeah. and you know the, these are real people doing shit and coming up with these stories. Uh, a lot of times, working out these great ring stories as they go. Yeah, like you watch a wrestling match, you're watching two people or four people or whatever putting together a story in the the wrestling ring, and that's uh, it's. it's amazing to see on site it happen i mean they'll have notes ahead of time some t- some wrestlers are more strict about putting together exactly how they want to do it but mm-hmm. a lot of times you're just seeing stuff come uh together organically and that's amazing it's improv it's awesome i love that you you're talking about the russians and stuff the the volkovs that was one of those yeah, things yeah. that like i totally remember so much of when i was a kid is like there was so much um Patriotism. Yeah, I was gonna say you, yeah. could, you could call it patriotism. You could call it xenophobia. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> xenophobia. Yeah, that's it. Actually, yeah, because uh, Hulk Hogan was a real American, meaning he he would beat up on foreigners. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude, do you he remember would... the fucking shit that hit the fan whenever Sergeant Slaughter like turned on America? Yeah, and he, started, he was a like... turncoat with the Iron Sheik. Yeah, dude. And Nikolai Volkov. Yeah. Yeah. That that was. Was awesome. It's like he just joined up with the Middle East and Russia. And that's one of those things that, you know, again, you know, it seems kind of silly, but it's like, dude, that would be the equivalent now of like if they had a storyline where John Cena joined ISIS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it would be like. like. These are People real don't political even events. realize. Yeah. Or, or yeah. you know, if you had a storyline where, um, you know, uh, again, some, some other big popular wrestler right now join north korea it's the same yeah. shit yeah like um it's real weird to remember that the rock who is beloved by all yeah. and deservedly so oh, yeah. um started in a stable that was the nation of domination and it was an african nation oh yeah and their intent was to take on white people yeah like, it was a black power kind of group yeah, and by the way, that was a great stable itself. Uh, oh, yeah, Farouk was in there. Farouk, yeah, Ron Simmons was in there. Yeah, uh, damn. <laughs> uh-huh. Good intro music for them, too. Yeah, awesome shit. Yeah, the the way that wrestling works, though, is kind of like it helps people play out those fears. Like, I know that people probably watch that and it, like, emboldens their fear. But yeah. It seems more often than not because somebody can switch to the good side and they're automatically on their side. Yeah. It seems more often than not that people are just playing out their fear. Like they see the xenophobic representation and it's like, oh no. But if Iron Sheik like ran out and helped Hulk Hogan, 
Everybody would be like, yeah, way to go, Iron Sheep. We love you now. <laughs> yeah, like, the Middle East is okay. Yeah. It's like a weird form of like news delivery in a lot of ways. Because yes, even like with really the nation is. of domination thing, like you were saying, I mean, you know, again, it's like to some people that really might have made them go, oh, maybe there's black people ain't being treated good. Like, yeah. I mean, really, it does. It, it enters into yeah. the social consciousness by introducing these ideas in any format you know whether it's wrestling or whatever it's why it's why it's such a negative thing that uh uh, vince mcmahon is the only voice really now in professional wrestling because he's super conservative and his wife is has been appointed by uh you know uh, the orangutan oh my god uh, i forgot about that shit to the small business bureau so like um even when it was wcw versus uh wwf and those are two like ted turner is i would say nominally liberal (laughs) like but like what it did was it it kept a balance and so like the wwf had to have like dx which is uh one of the greatest stables i think of all time oh my god yes Shawn michaels uh triple h uh one two three kid also known as six uh one two three kid x Pac. China, who, you know, died not long ago. R.I.P. Incredible, incredible team right there, yeah. man. And they and they had to do, like, you know, Vince may have his conservative politics, but he has to play to the audience Yeah. when he's in competition. If he's not in competition as he is, is now, like their new way of dealing with it, he can just enforce on the audience whatever he wants them to have to hear. Yeah, it's true. It's very, very but, true. When, when it's what the audience wants, you get DX. I mean, you get some fucking awesome shit. You get hardcore matches and yeah. uh, mankind. You get fucking over-the-top bumps, like, you know, 98 Hell in a Cell. Oh, my God. Legendary. Absolutely legendary, dude. One of the teams that, like, I remember first, like, as a kid, like, one of my youngest as-a-kid wrestling memories uh-huh. was how much my brother and I... Uh, liked good old Luke and Butch, the Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers! <laughs> From Australia. Oh, man. Hell yeah. That was when we all were enamored with Australia for like five years. Like it's America Crocodile was Dundee just like and stuff. Crocodile yeah. Dundee, Energize All Right, uh, <laughs> oh Fosters, etc. Outback Steakhouse yep. was uh, created. <laughs> but the thing is, is like, like so many of the other wrestlers that we'll talk about, like Luke and Butch were just the most ugly nasty unathletic uh-huh. dudes you've ever seen like they looked like that guy well they were muscular but yeah they were they were, they didn't look like they'd ever run a mile no no <laughs> they they look like that guy like every time that you take your car to a mechanic there's always that one guy that doesn't work there but he's always sitting in a chair hanging out yeah they looked like that yeah. guy it's like they just grabbed two yeah. of those guys from two different mechanic shops around town and they're like you're a wrestling team now <laughs> Yep, you two over here. You you have very few teeth. Will you lick the side of some child's face? <laughs> I was gonna say, dude. It's like that's the age that we lived in. That could be your gimmick. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna stomp out to the stage. Remember how they like kind of they yeah, do that walk like, where they put their arms oh, above oh. their heads? Yeah, it was so. <laughs> and the show of appreciation to the fans was I don't know. I guess I'll lick their face. It's like yeah. Brett Hitman Hart at least figured it out. It's like, I don't know, maybe we'll get some shitty sunglasses Here's cut out of a... cheap-ass sunglasses. <laughs> the the yeah. worst, the cheapest. But uh, it's like, that's, I don't know, that's a little cooler than licking some stranger's face. Yeah. I imagine that was always disgusting. 
but like speaking of that era like the the there are two teams that stand out the most to me and it's because of their costumes yeah and that is i the road warriors or Fuck legion yeah. of doom Hell however you refer yes. to them with their goddamn awesome face paint and their their football shoulder pads the coolest the most metal and axe and smash demolition dressed in their s&m gear i guess <laughs> And I face love it. Paint. I love it, dude. Yeah, De- demolition and LOD. Those are those are absolutely two of my favorites because they looked the most like comic book villains. Like, yes, they looked badass. Yeah, LOD. They'd come out wearing, you know, again when I was a kid, I didn't really put it together, but they were just like football shoulder pads with like spikes all over them. Yeah, with some like they may have even been like duct tape spikes. I don't yeah, know. Like exactly, they, they didn't look like early days they didn't look specifically like oh well that's those were like uh made by a company or something like later they looked more uh convincing but early on they could have been any i don't know maybe like a toilet paper roll (laughs) paper mache or something Uh uh-huh and like hawk and animal man it's like they would always come out with like i said the spikes and like the face paint Mm -hmm. and of course the first thing to go is the spikes you can't wrestle in that yeah and then, like, halfway through the match, that face paint would just be gone. Yeah. And you realize that you're like, oh, they just kind of look like my dad and his friend Craig or whatever. Like, <laughs> again, they qu- the the the, uh, uh, the enchantment really wore off once the face paint wore off. But God damn it, yeah. they looked so badass. And just the name Legion of Doom is so fucking metal. Just thinking of them with their face paint off is that reminds me of the Nasty Boys. Oh, the Nasty Boys. Holy shit. Those, that, those dudes look like uh, your uncle that you don't see much and his friend that just got out of jail. Yeah, absolutely yeah. so, man. Yeah, dude, Demolition, though, like you are talking about, Demolition was just like, I think maybe they were tapping into like the Judas Priest kind of metal yeah. kind yeah. of market because they were just wearing like bondage gear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, yeah, that's it. That's what it was. Smash, I guess they were called, right? Yeah. You know, but, like, the time that I think of most when I think of, like, awesome teams, because this is just the time that I watched the most wrestling, I would guess, is probably the the era of uh, D-Generation X versus NWO. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Um, So much good shit going on right there. Yeah. And I remember in that era, like WCW, um, they really sucked for yeah. their last few years. Yeah. But the thing was that they had more talent mm-hmm. than the WWE did, not just like in numbers, but they had so many super talented people yeah. that they were just wasting. I feel like they were also some of the first to start drafting in a lot of the international squad with some of the, yeah, the, the Mexican exactly. wrestlers and Japanese uh-huh. like high flyer dudes and shit like Psychosis that. Psychosis and Ultimo exactly. Dragon exactly. and guys like that. Yeah. Yeah, that was real fun. But like um, one of my favorite uh groups from that time was raven and the flock oh my god i forgot about that here's the thing raven was uh in ecw like a big deal and then he gets like you know um the wcw contract and they were just wcw was just signing everybody left and right so he just kind of got lost in this like uh squabble of people all over the place so he picks up a bunch of what are talented wrestlers like billy kidman uh steve stevie richards who followed him from ecw Mm -hmm. and like perry saturn 
uh, Perry Saturn, who is terrible on the mic. You don't want to ever hear him talk. <laughs> but Not God, good. he's an awesome wrestler. Like, he's so good. He, he can do every... He's like Taz, but, like, less charismatic. Yeah, exactly. And an artist with <laughs> a suplex. Every suplex. Every yeah. suplex, dude. <laughs> yeah. Every suplex. Dude, that, that era, though, with all that shit, like, with NWO and all that, was just fucking badass. It really was. But, like, the you mentioned these guys uh, to me in text. The the WCW version of the flock was The Brood. The Brood. Oh, my God. Here's the thing. The Brood was the lamest. It was like, the absolutely. lamest. Yeah. They're like, we're vampires, but we're going to make a living by wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> it, the reason the brood was the lamest is because they thought Gangrel was the draw. Yeah, they picked him as the fucking star of the, of the yeah. fucking group. Oh my god. The other two people in the group were Christian and The Edge, two guys who went on to make huge careers. Yeah. And Gangrel was the focus. <laughs> he as as you said looked like the vampires that live too close to the blood bank. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have to fly very far. He's like, he's a bloated a bit. Yeah. It was just not, <laughs> it was just not cool, man. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> what about, uh, I'm going to hit you with one of the most uncharismatic, most ridiculous tag teams of all time. What about, what, do you, know, what do you know about? Earthquake and Typhoon, the natural disasters. The natural disasters? <laughs> God, that's who I knew you were going to say. Because, yeah, that's no them. charisma. Yeah, no charisma. They were just two fat dudes. Yeah, they were two fat guys, and we'll name them after <laughs> earth destroying effects and stuff. And that's it. Like, they were fat and balding and had shitty beards. Wasn't Typhoon before he was Typhoon was Tugboat. Yeah, Tugboat. That's yeah. absolutely right. Which is just, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I love everything about that. I love everything about yeah. the fact that this guy was like, I want to be a wrestler for a living. I'll go talk to these, you know, guys at WWF. Okay, they signed me. Let's let's create my character. I don't know. You're fat. What about Tugboat? All right. Yeah. You look like you could pull a boat. And that was enough to sell it. Like that was. Yep. That was the age where this was all so new that you'd buy anything. It's like tugboat, okay. <laughs> Might as well. Isaac Yankum. <laughs> Might as well Put him out tug. There. Uh huh. Might as well tug. Dude, I remember though. You remember those like um, those fucking onesies that Earthquake and Typhoon would wear? Like they wouldn't wear yeah. just like tights like the other dudes. It was like a like a no. one piece kind of suit to show off the gut. Oh, dude, and just like their their fucking pasty upper thighs. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus, God, it was so bad. Pro wrestling perpetuated the myth that fat dudes are strong. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Like, <laughs> it's just like, it made us all think like, oh, like he's big. Like he could probably lift a lot. Of food. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, man. There was some of those times, especially, you know, you're talking about 10, 15 minutes into a match and you could tell that, Earthquake was working up quite a lather for himself. <laughs> and that's he, he's basting in his own juices. <laughs> yeah, dude, there's there's an ecosystem inside of that onesie. Uh, like yeah. oh my god. And that's always when it, it would come down to like a Bronco Buster kind of move. Uh, or yeah. Just something that would involve your face getting coated in, in that guy's taint sweat. 
And it was always as a kid, I was just like, ew, it's so fucking gross. If those guys had um, had been wrestlers a little bit later in ECW, one of them may have been named Taint Sweat. <laughs> that's a pretty edgy name for a character like yeah. that, I guess, dude. But yeah, it's like, dude, that's the thing that was so amazing. Is that, Again, dude, when you turn on wrestling today... Everybody looks like a fucking action figure. Like they have figured yeah. out the training. It's and boring. Yeah, it's steroid regiments and stuff so well that everybody yeah. looks like a fucking, you know, Greek god statue or something like that. But you had these guys back then that were like, they were slow as shit. You know, it's like earthquake yeah. and typhoon. Not exciting <laughs> whatsoever to watch. The, in the excitement ring. is gonna see. Uh, is going to be seeing Hulk Hogan gorilla press them above his head. Yeah, can somebody pick him up? That'd be crazy. Yeah, that was the excitement. was like, oh, it's a fat dude. It's going to be hard to lift him. <laughs> <laughs> what a simple time that was, dude. What it a was, fucking it was simple real time. Simple. <laughs> oh, my God. Man, but I, speaking of fat dudes, uh, great tag team, Dudley Boys. Oh, man. Yeah, shit. Yeah. They, now, see. That's the opposite. Charisma all over the place. All over the place. And those dudes were fucking, in, like, despite their size, insanely capable on the ropes. Oh, God, yes. Some of the moves where they'd, like, their, you know, kind of team-up moves and stuff were yeah. just nuts. Yeah. And them and the Hardy Boys. Oh, God like, damn, yeah. That kept me interested in wrestling a little longer than I would have been if it had just been, like, watching Stone Cold and Triple H and The Rock over and over and over. Yeah. And The Undertaker. Like, those same amalgamations for four years was basically wrestling. But the Dudley Boys and the Hardy Boys, uh, God, those hardcore matches they would have, the table Legendary. ladders and chairs matches. Oh, dude, the TLC shit so was insane. awesome, man. So fun to watch that stuff. Yeah, and the greatest hardcore pair-up ever, of course, is Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Those are like the two legend of legends in my book of the entire, you know, hardcore scene. It's those two guys. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I know uh, from just uh, reading, I, I've read Mankind's first book and just reading more about Terry Funk. It's wonderful. I know Terry Funk is a great guy, etc., but like he is... Like, if I were to step into a ring, he is one of the people I would absolutely shit my pants if they were in the ring with me. Oh, God, Because yes. he, he fights so stiff all the time. Yeah, like, there's no limits to that guy, man. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to fuck around with Terry Funk no. and end up in a wrestling match with him. No. I mean, yeah. Those, those were so fun. Like, and also seeing them wrestle each other is amazing. But, like, it was so fun seeing them and the New Age Outlaws. Oh, wrestle. damn. The New Age Outlaws. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good time, man. Hell yeah, it was, dude. Now, one of the ones that my brother and I always, always, always used to, to imitate and, again, you know, kind of play wrestle as with, like, my buddy Josh uh -huh. and all these, all these other kids in the neighborhood and stuff. We would always love to pretend to be the Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Yes, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. Did you guys fight over who had to be Marty Jannetty? Dude, it was totally that <laughs> that older brother thing, you know, with my brother, where he was like, "Well, I get to be Shawn Michaels, but Marty Jannetty—he's really cool, so you can be him." You'll love being Marty Jannetty. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, okay, you know, I guess so yeah, I went with it, but it's like, oh, yeah. all right, dude. That was one of those things though, where they were like. They were like the tightest, most brotherly fucking goody-goody 
you know, tag team yeah. ever. And then you remember when Shawn Michaels just fucking turned on Janetti? It was insane, yeah. The barbershop thing. Yeah, Shawn Michaels, though, he needed that because he was yeah. too charismatic for that. I know. Like, he... He needed to become a star. He needed to break away from a tag team. Like totally agree, man. Yeah. Totally. It's like but there's it was a limit a shock, to how I huge. Remember it. Oh yeah, it's yeah. like th- there was definitely a limit to like how huge Shawn Michaels could have got as a performer, as a tag team working yeah. kind of guy. He definitely needed to do the solo thing. And I think, yeah, I think Shawn Michaels, without a doubt, in the history of wrestling, is one of the greatest performers of all time. And I think it really kind of hit me when... Absolutely, yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, I can't remember if if it was you or if it was my buddy Josh, because Josh, you know, who I've mentioned several times on the show, he and I were just like, you know, razzling buddies. He was was Uh more hardcore into it than I was, but it's like we were all about that shit. We lived on the same road Mm -hmm. and stuff. I can't remember if it was either him or you told me, you know, all that you got to know about Shawn Michaels to know what an incredible performer he is is just like do a Google image search of like Shawn Michaels elbow drop or Shawn Michaels sweet chin music and, uh-huh. and look at 8 million photos of him doing the same moves and they are I mean they're perfect identical every, every time. time every single time yeah that guy is a good worker I mean uh I don't want to talk too much more in depth about wrestling I don't want to lose everybody but yeah <laughs> but we love it <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it and like when i think i think about good like workers guys that when you watch them in the ring you know that they're professional they know what they're doing like Shawn michaels is is way up there oh yeah uh, triple h like oh my god that guy absolutely. can sell a punch so well like Hell the yeah. way he, he the way he hits it looks like it hurts but it, it he pulls back so well Amazing. I don't think anybody sells better than fucking Mick Foley. Like nobody sells Mick better Foley, than Mick Foley. Yeah, you. Do, yeah, you. If you walked up to Mick Foley and like pretend punched him in the stomach, it would look to everyone around you like you had just annihilated Mick Foley. Like that man can make it look like <laughs> he'd like fall through a mine shaft or something. He's like, oh yeah. my god. And then the camera would pan to him, and he'd have a thumbs up. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and a and a tooth in his sinus cavity. Yeah, tooth in his sinus cavity, guys. <laughs> that watch Hell in a Cell, nineteen ninety eight. You have to. It's legendary. You owe it to yourself to see Undertaker and Mankind in Hell in a Cell and know that the match was supposed to end after the first time he gets thrown oh off. Oh of my cell. god, dude! And it goes twenty more minutes. And really, the star of that entire thing is fucking Jim Ross's color commentary. Yes, so good. He's insane. Like he's just like he is dead. He has killed him, dude. It's the voice of somebody that is just stupefied beyond belief. Yeah, <laughs> like he can't believe what's happening, and he's there, and he's in on it. It's the best. It's the fucking best. Do you think like? Because I know Jim Ross isn't like that in real life, but what if he was and, like, it was his wedding night and his wife came out naked and he was just like, the most gorgeous woman in the world! <laughs> oh, my God! Walking out of the bathroom! Oh, my God! <laughs> like, she would feel like, yeah, all right. I made a good choice. This dude <laughs> likes me. God damn, dude. And, and i tell you what, too. We can't be children of the 80s proper and not mention the Heart Foundation. 
Yeah, that was the last one I, I really wanted yeah. to mention because, like, uh, Canada's premiere. Uh, two two of the Hart Foundation uh, died real young, unfortunately. Yeah. Owen Hart and, and Flying Brian Pillman. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. Davy Boy Smith also died pretty young. Bret Hart got screwed by Vince and then also screwed by WCW. Man, for years. What a horrible time that guy had, man. Because he was like, I know every kid fucking looked up to him. I loved him when I was a kid. Uh, my buddy Josh hated yeah. him and still fucking hates him so bad. Well, that's the thing about Bret Hart is that you can't. He's so good at making you hate him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why he's great. Is he's so good at being uh, a heel? Yeah, and and th- you also had Jim the Anvil Nineheart, my my goatee <laughs> role model. Yeah, everybody's goatee row model, yeah. Uh, and that stupid laugh he would do. Oh, my God, dude. He, You know yeah. what? He he kind of reminded me a lot of times of fucking Scott Steiner from the Steiner Brothers. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, like uh, like maybe they were on a lot of steroids. Oh, my Jesus, God, dude. He was, yeah. like, about to explode. Uh-huh. He kind of <laughs> looked like Carrie King from Slayer if he went to the gym a lot. <laughs> yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> Probably less of an asshole than Carrie King, too. You should, I don't know if you've ever seen the video of the Steiner Brothers. Uh, it's a it's a local Shoney's commercial in Alabama, I think. And it's like, it's more recent, like in the last couple of years. But the Steiner Brothers uh, are demolishing the old Shoney's. No. You should check it out. It's on YouTube. It's, oh it's my pretty god! Cool. I have to see that. That sounds like one of the most sad things. It is. Of That's all exactly time. what it is. It's very sad. It's like, oh no, oh why, why is this happening? There's so much more that we could just go on and on and on and on about, man. Because seriously, the amount of time that we invested as kids into this stuff. I mean, it, it was. Oh man, it, yeah. it was a weekly ritual. It's like I have to watch Raw. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I remember um, my sister and I, we would always, um, my mom would take us to rent videos. And uh, when my sister and I would rent videos, we'd go back and forth. And uh, we we started getting into old pay-per-views. Oh, and hell we yeah. would watch old pay-per-views like all week. Just watching old Survivor Series, old WrestleManias, mm-hmm. old uh, WCW events, Starcade, etc. Like... That was so awesome. Like it was such fun. I know, um, man. Now with with less competition in the market, I, I I still think it's you know it's probably interesting. I haven't really gotten too into it. And I know Daniel Bryan's awesome. I love Chris Jericho, uh, but like I, without the competition that there used to be of multiple uh, promotions, it it just becomes like the W or the NFL, and yeah, it's like just an echo this chamber is, yeah yeah it's not that fun to watch anyway and the thing is too though is there there is still competition out there if you look at it like when you start watching yeah. some of the um dude some of the like russian and like you know uh western or sorry eastern european wrestling factions that are going on like czw and stuff like that uh-huh. I, think, I think it's called czw isn't it i i don't know i haven't i, I think haven't it's like a this. czech wrestling faction okay it's like fucking insane. It's awesome. N- but but not like it's insane like Japanese stuff where they're just smashing, you know, cases of fluorescent light bulbs on each other. It's not insane yeah. like extreme. Like it's just extremely technical wrestling. It's really fucking rad. Some of the CZW yeah. stuff, if I'm not mistaken, gets extreme too, but there's some stuff my buddy Joe has showed me 
of like I said, some of these European wrestling factions that are that are really sick. But of course, they're not being broadcast, you know, on near big of a platform as a WWE yeah. is and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still it's still fun to go back and watch all those old, you know, WrestleManias and shit like that. Yeah. It's such a blast, dude. Yeah, and old ECW events are great. Oh <laughs> goddamn, yeah, dude. I do know that the women's division is actually great now. Yeah. Um and that like the a lot of the wrestling talent in the WWE now is the women's division. So I would be interested in getting into that. I just don't have cable, so I don't watch wrestling. Yeah, same <laughs> here. Um my buddy Josh, he's got um like the you know, the network that you like pay for and stuff. Yeah, the WWE Network. Yeah, um, so a lot of times we'll we'll have parties over at his place where we'll watch the the pay per views and shit, which is always a, a great time. So, uh, yeah, you know, we'll make a bunch of food and everybody brings beer and we'll watch the pay per view and it, it's fun even if you've not been keeping up with the storyline. Well, yeah, obviously, yeah, pay per views are they're built for that, right? Like because yeah. they they bring they bring you up to date on things. I have watched uh, like recent WrestleManias and reach recent pay per views. And you don't have to have seen everything. That's no. the thing about a pay-per-view is it's a big event. They they will remind you of everything that's led up to it. I will say, though, like, you know, even though today's wrestlers are, like, obviously way more shredded and look like fucking action figures and, uh-huh. you know, the wrestling itself is more exciting because let, let's not let's not kid around, dude. It's like a lot of those yeah. really old matches are long. Are terrible. Uh, yeah, just fucking terrible. Fucking terrible wrestling. But... Yeah, the new stuff, man. The pre, the pre-match shit talking is nowhere near the level of those classic yeah. promos. That, that fucking, was the fun, dude, man. That was watching the Ultimate Warrior like stumble through the and like best. saying the craziest out. shit you can imagine. Fuck yeah. Or watching Macho Man Randy Savage be fucking awesome. Like that was the and just incredible career. Yeah, like you watch. You watch Hulk Hogan, and he he's always competent, obviously, but, like, his early stuff was boring because he had to be, like, the real American, yeah. et cetera. But Macho Man never had that. Macho Man always was able to just go fucking insane with his, oh, yeah. Oh, like, dude, just, what a character he had created, yeah. man. It's amazing. And then, like, you'd always be watching those. <laughs> I remember any time that I was, like, watching wrestling and, like, my parents were in the room. And like Rowdy Roddy Piper would cut a promo. Yes, we gotta do a Rowdy Roddy Piper movie. It's so funny. Um, you mean They Live? Fuck yeah. They Live or Hell Comes to Frogtown? I've never or... seen that shit. What is that? Uh, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen They Live, right? I have. They Live is amazing. It's fucking amazing and like more relevant now than ever. That 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 fight between. He, him and Keith David. Oh, the best. That's the like best fight. five minutes long. Yeah, it's the longest fight like in movie history. It's yeah, amazing. And it, it's it's very much pro wrestling. Dude. Like it's like John John Carpenter <laughs> wanted it to be that. Obviously. What if whenever Avengers Infinity Saga comes out and we get to like the very end of part two? What if uh-huh. what if the final fight is between like Iron Man and Thanos and it's just that beat for beat? They just do that beat <laughs> for beat. God, that would be awesome. I, it would make me happier than anything in history. It, yeah. Like if I was sitting in a in a theater of like confused ass people that were like what the fuck is this yeah 
and I and probably like you know one other guy that's wearing like a Sabu t-shirt would just be losing our minds. It would be the most <laughs> special thing of my life. If you, if you ever see someone out in the world wearing a Sabu t-shirt, oh, that is dude. an awesome. I just person. get their phone number. I'm like, yo, we're yeah. hanging out. <laughs> I don't own a Sabu t-shirt. I totally fucking should. Everybody needs a Sabu t-shirt. I also don't. We, You know what? We need uh, to make a dead and lovely Sabu t-shirt. Oh Let's call God. up Sabu. We'll do a cross promotion. <laughs> That's the guy. Sabu is the guy. Yeah. Sabu Sabu and RVD were tag team champions in uh, ECW for a while, weren't what they? What a fucking team. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing team. Oh, dude. Unbelievable stuff. But yeah, I feel like the new, the new guys, it's like... There's still not that charisma on the mic because it's all about the shit talk. Yeah. It's all about the yes. shit talk. Yeah, go back and watch The Rock and, and Stone Cold talking oh, back and dude. forth. Like that's that's amazing. Like, that's that was the, the height. height. Yeah. That is the pinnacle. Those two are the most charismatic on two different levels. Oh yeah. Like The Rock is like you like him because he's a likable dude and he seems very intimidating. This, then Stone Cold, you like him because he hates everything and everybody. I know. Stone Cold <laughs> changed everything because Stone Cold he was yeah. the heel that you rooted for. It's like, yeah. that changed it's like, Why it all. would you root against him? He was fucking awesome. Yeah. And again, an incredible performer. Yeah. His podcast is sick. Have you listened to it? Yeah. He is awesome. He, is, uh, he has had one of the best after careers. He and The Rock, again, two oh God, of the yeah. best after careers after wrestling. And I'll tell you, too, you know, again, I was just watching Guardians of the Galaxy, and, of course, Batista is in there. As, Batista as, is yeah. fucking – and he's in uh, Blade Runner 2049, and a lot of people praising his his, uh, his work in that. So he was also in uh, that uh, most recent James Bond movie, did really oh, well. Oh, yeah, he was. That's right. I remember seeing him yeah. being like, is that Batista? Uh-huh. But it's such a smart move that, like, Hollywood is tapping into, oh, look – we can hire these guys that are already great performers and are like jacked up, ripped and shredded to play heroes <laughs> and villains. And, you yeah. know, it's like I don't have to send Chris Pratt to the gym for eight months to prep for a role. Like Batista's already yeah. fucking jacked and a good actor, you know? Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, like, that role, like, he could have fucked it up. Like, they made it so that the character, Drax, doesn't have to show a lot of emotion. Oh, he's so good. So, But he could have fucked that up, but he doesn't. He brings humor to it, and he brings a lot to the role. Yeah. I love good that. Good call on that. Yeah. Yeah, totally so, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, we could we could go on and on and on about, yeah. about Razzlin' forever, considering that was such a big part of our, of our ute. And I'm sure that as we cover... You know, again, some more of these flicks that feature some wrestlers, like maybe a See No yeah. Evil or a They Live <laughs> or any of those. They Live is definite. See No Evil? Okay, maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, That'll have to be requested a lot for us yeah. to get into that. <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll we'll definitely be talking about wrestling some more because it's, dude, the, like you said, it's, the, it's our modern mythology. And it's just so yeah. fun to look back on that stuff as you were a kid and. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's great if you if you grew up in our era, and especially if you grew up in this area where wrestling was just like the fucking thing. It's always fun to revisit. That's all. That's like a huge thing in the southeast, where like a lot of the wrestling promotions come out of there. Like great, oh, yeah. uh, the Smoky Mountain Wrestling was huge. Like that was on TV, um, and then like a ton of the wrestlers live in the area, so it's like 
you you just get this association like you want to know them you want to be their friends etc like yeah, yeah it's a it's a huge thing in the south dude whenever sure. whenever i was working my first job which was at lawn and garden in walmart uh in jefferson city tennessee man fucking you know kane lived right uh-huh. around, and still lives around here but at Glenn that jacobs. time uh-huh. Glenn jacobs yeah he lived in jefferson county and fucking yeah. kane would come into walmart and shit yeah he's a big dude oh my god he, okay <laughs> he, he is unmistakable yeah and i'll never forget because at that time he was driving it was like an escalade he had a cadillac escalade right when those came out uh-huh. which is a big old suv and stuff yeah, it's huge yeah him getting out of it looked like when you went to the circus and you saw like a bear <laughs> you know riding a unicycle or something it's insane and he is hideous as fuck <laughs> like seeing him three-dimensional he is yeah. fucking hideous, dude. <laughs> it's awesome. And now he's running for, I think, mayor. Yeah. He's running for something. Yeah. I, the, in Knox County, yeah. obviously, as a conservative. Uh, so don't don't vote for him, Knox. <laughs> we can get political uh, if we want to. Fuck yeah. that. Don't vote for him. Um, <laughs> if, uh, if, you know, a, a professional wrestler runs as a liberal... And uh, you really believe in them? Go for it, but don't. But you know what? Don't vote for celebrities. Listen, though, the thing is, though, is he kind of had to run as a conservative because, I mean, I just think just based on the big red machine moniker, <laughs> period. How could you do that? It's like if he was running Democrat, all of his fans would be like, "You used to be the big red machine. Now you're the big blue machine. Fuck you." <laughs> No, but then he'd be the big red machine, as in the socialist machine, (laughs) or the communist machine, right? Uh, He could go full, like, deep, like, far left. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So far blue, it's back to being red again. Yeah. Goddamn, man. I'll tell you what, Steve, I guess we should probably spend some of this podcast talking about Hellraiser 2. Why? Uh, this is dead and wrestling, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of more fun, really. <laughs> yeah. It would be. You know what? I don't like this movie, Ben. Uh, that's the impression that you give me. Now, this isn't the first time no. that you've seen this, is it? Um, It's the first time I've watched it the whole way through, yeah. I've tried to watch it before, and as I said last week, I thought it looked like a Duran Duran music video. The apartment definitely does. The apartment does. I was wrong though. It looks more like, um, like if somebody were given Hellraiser one, mm-hmm. and uh, and the the company said like use about twenty minutes of this, yeah, and then you just do whatever you want. Well, the movie basically opens with a trailer for Hellraiser. Yeah, a long, long trailer for Hellraiser. Yeah, it's just a bunch of clips from the first ones of like key moments and pivotal events and shit that happen. And it's literally yeah. just reused footage. It's like the, it could have closed with that and then Hellraiser, rated R. Like it just looked like mm-hmm. a movie trailer. Um, if you if you cut out all of the flashback in this, which I would say is probably a good idea for almost every movie. Yeah. Cut out all the flashback in this. You get about an hour and and eighteen minutes of a movie. Yeah, totally. That's, uh, that's a little short, but it still works just fine as a movie. You don't need it. Just cut it out. And overall, what is the total running time of this flick? It's about an hour thirty or forty, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it's an hour. Uh, let's see, it's ninety three minutes, so an hour and twenty three minutes. God, is that as short as it is? 
or an hour and 33 minutes sorry my math was off there hour and 33 minutes but that's pretty short it felt so much longer than that man yeah it felt way longer than that extremely longer and you know what a lot of movies that say have come out uh horror movies indie horror movies that have come out and come on directly to say shutter or netflix or whatever a lot of those that have come out recently have been something like an hour and 19 to an hour and 30 yeah what i've found with that is that maybe that's budgetary constraints but what that means is that you have to cut it to exactly what you need for the story yeah and it can be good that's what that's what this movie needed I this agree. movie i think could have been good if you cut it down to about an hour and 15 minutes or so yeah there was there was definitely i think a too many pots boiling on the stove with this one yeah um, because there's some stuff about this movie that I really, really like. Like, the first half mm-hmm. of the movie, or maybe first third of the movie or so. Yeah, once you get past the, the preview for yeah, Hellraiser the trailer 1. Yeah, the for Hellraiser yeah. 1. And, uh-huh. and you're introduced to, you know, we've still got Kirsty left over from the first movie, who's now uh-huh. like a, a mental a mental ward. And you got Dr. Chenard, who's running that ward and stuff. Like, to me, that's all really, really cool. Um yeah, that's an interesting story, and the story with Tiffany is interesting. Yeah, I think, maybe. It, but the thing about the story with Tiffany is we don't get the story with Tiffany until the end of the movie, which is yeah a problem. Yeah, exactly. And, and even then, like her role is, oh, she solves puzzles. But it's like, is that really that yeah. pivotal? I mean, Kirsty solved the box, too. <sighs> yeah, that's true. And to solve these boxes, it really only seems like you just have to run your, your finger along any circle kind of seems that way yeah yeah seems pretty simple overall so like I, the thing about the first hellraiser is that when we talked about it before it has like some almost soap opera elements to it totally. and like it's sometimes a bit over the top melodramatic yeah and melodramatic but it all comes together so well yeah that like and and like the gore and everything it all comes together the story is like so well done it's simple too yeah and simple this movie goes with an overly complicated story is totally uneven from scene to scene like one scene will be absolute panic the next scene will be inexplicable calm yeah like the the shifting tones are kind of weird yeah which is an indication that the editing is a bit off and totally. that maybe they could have uh edited together a bit better and made it so that the story uh you know those scenes where it's suddenly uh eerily calm almost where mm-hmm. suddenly like kirsty and tiffany meet in in hell and like it's just like okay we're friends now i guess like they <laughs> and yeah. by the way the me saying okay we're friends now i guess is more than the movie yeah, says. It's giving it credit yeah yeah because the movie is just like oh well now the two of them are in proximity so they're friends yeah exactly is that passes that bechdel test though it does ladies talk uh, actually this movie um claire higgins who is the star for me of hellraiser one she is absolutely the best part julia yes exactly absolutely the best part i think gets a little like her performance is just as good but the writing is not as good for her character her hair is her hair is better though because in the first one she she looked like mr heat miser 
in person. She looked exactly like Mr. Heapies. <laughs> yeah, her hair's better in this one for sure. And and the thing is though is kind of like what you're saying about how she was the best part of the of the first movie. I I completely uh-huh. I completely agree. And apparently yeah. the the original plan for this flick was that at the very end of the movie, which we'll we'll talk about later, she was supposed to like pop out of the mattress like fully formed as like the queen of hell and shit. Fuck yeah, that would have been awesome. I know, right? And the thing that's is, that's already is like, cooler. That's already cooler, much cooler than what happens at the end of the movie. But the idea was is that she would remain the pivotal villain of the Hellraiser series, and she hell would come back yes. for three. I know, dude. Queen of Hell. That just sounds yes, fucking that's badass. So cool. But apparently, Claire Higgins didn't want to become the female. Uh, uh, Robert England, you know, where it's just like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the baddie in the movies. But the oh, thing is, too, is wow. I think that some of that was, I think some of that was kind of misconstrued uh, by some of the creative teams that worked on the later Hellraisers and stuff, too, where they're like, well, I guess people like Pinhead as a villain. But the thing is, man, is that I think part of the beauty of of Hellraiser, of the original one, of... Uh-huh the Cenobites and Julia and Frank and all that stuff. If you watch the first Hellraiser and you think that the Cenobites are the bad guys, you're stupid. Julia and Frank are the bad guys. Yeah, the Cenobites are barely in it. And when they are, like, the one inexplicable thing is that they sort of turn on, um, what's it, Kirstie? Yeah, they're like, we'll have you now. Like, that's, okay, that's that's a little bit of just like, why are they villains now suddenly? Because the thing about the Cenobites is they, you know, as it says on the box, angels to some, demons to others. Like, they're not, they're not necessarily evil. They are explorers in the outer realms of experience, and that doesn't necessarily make them evil per se. Um, It's an interesting line that I think made that first movie so cool because compared to other horror franchises of that era, you know, you watch an Elm Street, obviously Freddy is the baddie. He's trying to kill everybody. You watch uh, Friday the 13th, Jason is the baddie. He's trying to kill everybody. In in most of them. Yeah, in most of them. It's his mom, and in another, it's an ambulance driver. Yeah, yeah, in most of them. (laughs) But then, like, you have the Cenobites, and they're just like, it's kind of like what you said. This is what you asked for. What do you expect? Like, yeah, they're there for people that want to experience yes, crazy exactly. things and pain. And it's like actually to again to some people they're they're angels and they're delivering their ultimate fantasy to them and stuff like this. So I liked the idea that the Cenobites were these kind of strange neutral guardians in a way that would give you what you asked for if you wanted it. But yeah, the fact is is that Julia, a human was actually way more evil and twisted and sadistic than they were. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and like you get to see her become that. Yeah. That's the that's the beauty of Hellraiser 1 is you get to see her go through being just the um uh, unsatisfied housewife to the lover of a demented person to a demented person to a thrill killer. Like yeah. she's just interested at in that point totally. at just killing. Exactly. Yeah. And then when they made the the shift to being like, well, I guess everybody likes Pinhead. Let's make him the villain and all these other ones. Like that's why all those other movies fucking blow. Like yeah, 
because they shouldn't be villains at all. Exactly. That's not what they're doing. They they they're they're supposed to be representative of the S and M community. Yeah. And the, the S and M community is supposed to be founded on the idea of consent. Exactly. And the idea of the people who want to feel pain and the people who want to dish out pain coming together. So and that's 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 why I think some of what screws Hellraiser 2 is the ending of Hellraiser 1 where mm. they suddenly are villainous and it yeah, makes no sense. Yeah, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, because it contradicts some of the stuff that happens here where, if, say for instance, uh, they turn on Kirstie at the end, yeah. but it, one of the main points of this is that Tiffany, who is a uh, mute uh, and lives in this, you know, what is it, uh, a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. She solves the puzzle box, but they don't go after her. Specifically, Pinhead says that it's not the one who opens the puzzle. It's the one who wills it open. Yeah. And so they don't ever go after Tiffany, but they still go after Kirstie. Yeah, like, that's what doesn't make sense is, yeah, Kirstie yeah. opened the box. And then later at the end of Hell Hellraiser 1, they're like, well, you opened the box. We're here to get you now. And it's like, well, okay, that's... Yeah, that that's definitely a change of the rules, and that's yeah, that's again another another big problem with this movie is what the fuck are the rules of what happens and what doesn't? Oh, why man. do you, why do some people like Chenard becomes a Cenobite, but Julia doesn't? Uh, yeah, you can get killed while you're in hell. You're already dead. Like uh, Julia is kind. I guess in some sense, she works for the uh huge puzzle box uh, in the middle of the labyrinth there leviathan, leviathan yeah who is the god of the labyrinth yeah the and who uh, i guess what he does is he seeks out he seeks out certain people to uh, exert his will mm -hmm. and and uh whenever uh julia is talking later about that she says that that the Leviathan sent her back to Earth to bring more souls back. Right. Which I would assume mean he's building like a Cenobite army. Yeah. Which is metal as fuck. It is metal as fuck and awesome as fuck if the Cenobites were supposed to be villains and the soldiers in Leviathan's army. Yeah. But what we got, what we liked and what we got from the first one was that they're more neutral. Totally. And that, that would have been a much better... Uh, like you could have had so many great Hellraiser movies with these neutral uh, S&M demon angel things yeah. that are just caught up in the deceptions and the the murders and, and you know, villainous acts of humans, yeah. which is what the first one is. And what the second one is sort of... But then Dr. Chenard becomes a Cenobite, and it makes no sense. And that's that's kind of that thing, too, that I like, again, so much about you know, most of the first movie is that when you see you know Frank open the box and he gets these hooks that come out of nowhere and, yeah. pe and pierce his skin, and it's these demented, sadistic beings and stuff like that, it's like to a lot of people that, that aren't into that, you know, you might initially feel like, oh my God, it's evil. They're torturing him and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. But then that movie makes it very clear that no, some people he want that this. Out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he I, wanted it. Uh -huh. I love that kind of weird neutrality that that, that, yeah. that makes you feel that it's like so, sometimes fucking piercing somebody's flesh 
isn't bad. Like, if that's yeah. what that person wants, then fuck it, uh-huh. you know? The universal amorality of yes, that movie is exactly. the good thing. Exactly. Where it's like, you don't know what's good or bad in this movie because some some act, some people in the movie, some characters in the movie want pain. And so wanting pain flips it all for us. Exactly. Like, exactly. And that's that's the big difference in that first movie as far as like why the Cenobites aren't the villains and why Julia is the villain is because the Cenobites, they'll come and they'll fuck you up and stuff if you summon them and that's what you want. Again, there's the consent line, but then uh-huh. Julia is just a selfish piece of shit that's like, whatever, I'm going to just bring random guys back from these bars and have them get murdered because I want Frank back. That's yeah. different. That is different. She she is uh she's grooving on a different trip, man. <laughs> but it's showing that line of consent and how important that is. Yeah. yeah, that is that is one of the things that I think Clive Barker we talked about this and go back and listen to our Hellraiser yeah. episode. It's like episode three, I think. Yeah, know that it was early and that we could do better, but it was still a great still episode. Good. Yeah. Um that's one of the things that Clive Barker as a gay man who um from reading his his horror novels, which I've read a lot of his stuff, uh, is is interested in S and M in general. Yeah. Um. And, and interested in consent and interested in how, you know, uh, sex and sexual relations uh relate to horror. Mm-hmm. Um. In Hellraiser, we got that great philosophical element where it's like, okay, like he wants this like and like he wants to be evil like yeah that, that's that's the thing and that's the thing you get a little with julia in this is that she wants to be evil and dr chenard he's fine he's interested in being evil he yeah. wants to be a doctor so that he can experiment on people just to cause them pain basically yeah, yeah basically um, so like there's that great element but the thing that hellraiser one does with that is it through the cenobites makes it clear that that's not good or evil yeah whereas um in this movie it's just, it is evil like right everything about it is evil exactly and that that's where i think it kind of loses track of what made the first one so cool and then the later movies it it, it you know Pinhead and the Cinemites just become the boogeyman that fucking show up and kill people, and it's just stupid. Like, yeah. that, that's why, yeah. especially, like, you know, <laughs> three fucking sucks. I know a lot of people like three. Four has okay bits in it, and then the rest of them are just garbage, you know, just fucking terrible movies. Is three the one with Winona Ryder, or is that four? Uh, fuck, I can't remember. I think that might be four. Oh, okay. I, I, I remember seeing that one and loving the intro to it, because... It's well shot yeah. and it gives a lot of good like backstory. Yeah, but I don't remember the movie being great. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the thing though. You know, with this flick right here, I really, 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 really do like the Doctor Chenard character. Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of potential there, and I like the fact that, like you said, that he is this doctor that's experimenting on people. He's harvesting people like. Um, Who's the mute girl? Is it Tina? Is that her name? Tina. Or Tina, Tiffany. Tiffany. There you go. Uh-huh. I like that he's like harvesting these people to do his bidding. And he even, you know, yeah. uses the guy that's hallucinating to summon he's Julia. He's a good villain. Shit. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And I, I like, too, 
the fact that he is this guy who we didn't see in the first movie, but he is obsessed with the lore of the puzzle box and yeah. of these creatures in this other dimension and so on. Like, it broadens the world out to let you know that, like, okay, this isn't just this little self-contained mm. thing in the first movie that affected, like, three people. It's kind of like this is, like, almost like an urban legend or something like that. Of Yeah, there's these boxes you can collect around the world that'll open up dimensions to pain yeah. and yada yada. I like that that opens up the world that way. And it shows you that there's like multiple boxes and shit. I think that's fucking rad. That and was like, so cool to me. Yeah. yeah Seeing it, the multiple boxes and the the stuff hanging in his office at home. I was going to say, had like, exactly. He had like a lot of like ritual magic Alistair stuff. So Crowley it associated, yeah, Aleister Crowley picture. He's, it associates it back with stuff that we can actually like look up ourselves. He's into the esoteric. Yeah, so that's real. Like, it does a good job with Doctor Chenard, and the guy who plays Doctor Chenard does a good. Oh, he's job. awesome. He's great. But that's the thing is that they don't focus it right. They, they it's yeah. so much of this is just unfocused scenes coming. Like it's almost like. They they wrote down the scenes that they definitely wanted to happen, and then they were like, "Oh fuck, we don't have a script. Well, let's just start shooting and f- see what happens." Yeah, like, put them running around in that maze a bunch. Yeah, a lot of them running around in the maze. A lot of and that maze, by the way, is just the same hallway over and over. Yeah, which is uh, and also re- okay. So we should talk about the the gore effects and stuff because that was the the strength i guess of the first one aside from its awesome like mythology yeah is those cool like gore effects of like um you know frank coming back to life and stuff um and this has uh julia come out of that that bed and like the way that she is is like just skinless but like real good effect of like just muscle and like it's unreal it's it's so good and that's not the actress that plays her by the way that's somebody else yeah no it could yeah i wouldn't expect it to be because that would be the stickiest scene anyone has ever filmed and i would hate to have to clean it up that scene is the reason to watch this movie i think it's the best it's it's fucking amazing i mean to me you know even though, obviously, as we're making it clear, we're not exactly the biggest fans of this flick. I think that that no, scene... No, I want it, but I, yeah, find the positive. This has that, and that is dude, awesome. Dude, it's in the top five most warped scenes I've ever seen in any movie. Like, yeah. the, the whole lead-up to it, where you have you have Chenard, who at that point, you don't even know that he's really fucked up. Yeah, you're not sure he's evil, but yeah. like you do, you hear him on the phone talking about... Having the bed taken to his house, but that's all you get. I like that they use that mattress as like a totem. It's like they re- he yes. realized the power of the good. mattress, even though it's a fucking mattress. It's like yeah, it's still cool. It's still cool to me. So yeah, he has the mattress taken back to his office, and he takes one of his own patients from his crazy house. You know, people he's supposed to be helping. Yeah, a guy who uh, thinks that he has uh, worms and stuff crawling under his skin, which yeah. is uh, a, de- a devastating mental illness uh, and really he sad. He uses them. And again, there's yeah. that lack of consent. It's like there's, yeah. the, there's the true evil of just like, whatever, I'm going to have you inflict pain on yourself because it's something I want, so fuck you. That's the difference. That's the that's the line between people like Julian and Frank and Chenard and the Cenobites that Again, yeah. that could have been explored so much more because that's a fascinating line to draw. But anyway, yeah, he calls this guy who 
and it shows it shows his visions of what he thinks is going on on his own skin. And yeah, he's got like these festering wounds that are covered in fucking maggots and shit. It's disgusting. And he hands him a straight razor and puts him on the mattress. And the guy, dude, the guy that plays that part is selling the fuck out of it. Like he is just screaming in absolute agony as he slices himself up with this straight razor trying to rid himself of these imaginary bugs he's covered in. It's disturbing and disgusting as all fuck. And then him cutting himself all over that mattress and spilling his blood on it summons skinless Julia out of there. Yeah. And he is, he is just screaming bloody murder as you have this slippery, wet, blood-soaked Julia just, like, trying to grab him and, like, the mattress is getting bloodier and bloodier and they're, le- you know, the guy is bleeding everywhere. Yeah, it is a bloody fucking scene. <laughs> and, dude, just, just the way that it is... And it's like a really still shot, too. Just a very matter-of-fact still shot of two people, one of whom is skinless, the other whom is insane and has carved himself up with a a razor blade, are squirming and writhing and slipping and sliding all over this mattress, and she's trying to grab him, and, you know, the blood is making him slip, and they're crawling all over the floor while he's screaming bloody murder as she's trying to grab him. It's one yeah. of the most insane and depraved and yeah. disgusting things I've ever seen in any movie. Like, that scene to me is worth watching this movie for. I think it's stunningly disgusting and weird. Yeah, and you can honestly skip to it. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> like, you won't miss anything if you skip directly to that and then just watch the movie for 20 more minutes of good stuff and then... Shut it off. Yeah, like. <laughs> worth watching for that scene. I think that it's. I think that it's incredible. Yeah, that scene's great. Um, then there's a, a a really well done shot a little after that of Julia in Doctor Chenard's uh, living room. Yeah, the living room is like all white. Yeah, but it's that great. Like she's just covered in blood, looking in the mirror. Like and she's leaving. And I say covered in blood. I'm everywhere. saying yeah. She doesn't have skin, so, like, she's leaving blood everywhere. And, like, it, watching it and seeing her standing on the carpet makes me feel gross. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, for so many reasons, because it's like, that carpet is going to be disgusting. Also, have you ever had a wound that got carpet into it? Ugh, That's not yeah. good. The Awful. entire bottoms of her feet. Ugh. I know, man, because she's fucking skinless, and I love that when she's he, skinless. he wraps her in the bandages and stuff. It's visually so striking. He's wrapping her it's in the gauze. It's really good. The blood is still soaking through yeah. and shit. Um, it's it's really good. Yeah. Like that, the way they do that, and the um, the thing that really hurts this movie is not the visual because visually this is a well done movie. Mm-hmm. It's the story. It doesn't make any fucking sense. I know. I know, because, man. Uh, Dr. Chenard uh, brings her, like, eight people to absorb to, like, get her skin back or whatever. And if you remember, the story occurs in the period of a day. Shit. It does, <laughs> it, doesn't like, it? Yeah, you get the opening and then, like, you know, uh, there's a night and then everything that happens from Julia coming back to, to all the other stuff happens in one day. 
It makes no sense. That's that kind of different. All of that occurs than, in one day. That's kind of different from the first one where you have you know Frank yeah. slowly regenerating, living in the attic. Yeah. You get the montage of Julia bringing men home and uh, killing them for him to eat or wh whatever it is you do to yeah. regenerate yourself. They kind of just sort of like karate chop them in the neck and stick their hand in their neck and somehow they get yeah. all their essential vitamins and minerals and so on. <laughs> I just overall, man, I feel like this movie uh, literally didn't have to go to hell. Like it, it didn't have no. to. Like to me, if I could have spent have more stayed. time, yeah, yeah, if I could have spent more time on with the Earth and, exactly. and finding out what's happening with Chenard and Tiffany. Yes, if if the the story had developed that Julia helps Tiffany to find out what happened to her mom and that because what happened is tiffany basically sees her mom get murdered and that's the end yeah like that's not an interesting backstory no. if it had been that tiffany was brought to the hospital and then uh Chenard killed her mom without her knowing and then tiffany finds out her mom isn't alive and she stops speaking etc and kirstie develops this relationship with her helps her to uh, find out what happened to her mom and that's what helps tiffany to learn how to speak etc yeah all of that is a much better Easy. story than uh 20 minutes into it they're in hell and it's not really scary or anything at all like you're in hell like the scariest thing is you don't know where you are like you're lost like she she comes across that i'm lost in a matte painting oh no <laughs> she comes across frank in the the hellscape yeah 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 and in the room basically his torture is to watch uh, sexy women's bodies writhing under uh sheets for yeah. eternity it's the worst oh no and uh, what his idea is the moment she comes in is oh well i'm gonna make uh i'm gonna fuck my niece yeah, you somehow know. that's what you want instead. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. Like, he decides he's going to fuck his niece, and that's weird. But then she somehow sets everything on fire, which makes him start to rip his skin off. It yeah. makes no sense. His skin is attached in that loose way that, like, a rabbit's skin is. Yeah. That comes <laughs> right off. Like, that's the scariest thing that happens in hell also did you it. notice that his voice was different than the original one because yes. in the original he was dubbed because the guy yeah. is i think <laughs> i think he's irish or something in real life yeah. and so they they not a great him. american accent yeah. no and that that was a weird thing about the first movie is like where the fuck did that movie take place because it was a lot yeah. of british people but i feel like it was kind of in america I'm assuming it's America, right? Like in this the, movie, it's very clearly in America because there's like police with guns and shit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. They make sure you know it's America early on by having a policeman empty a clip of a a, a gun into a corpse. Correct. Correct. Because yeah. he got scared, like we do over here. Yeah, because you know the best way to police the people is to find the dumbest person you can and put a gun in their hand <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> um but but you know another change too in this movie which was again just a glaring dumb flaw uh with those flashbacks and stuff female cenobite is played by a different woman and she looks completely different yeah but they show you the preview sounds completely different yeah but early in the movie they show you the preview you know of 
well, I should say trailer of the original Hellraiser, and you see the first actress, and then you see the second actress in this one, and she looks yeah. totally different. It's like, dude, don't do that in the same movie. Here, Here's my problem. This is a major problem, and I, I pointed it out in the first one that her name is female Cenobite. Yeah. The other Cenobites have a name. Yeah. Her name is the female. Well, and even it's more insulting because, like, in the first one, if I'm not mistaken, in the credits, Doug Bradley is just cr- credited as lead Cenobite. But yeah. it, in this one, they're all named. It's Pinhead, Butterball, Chatterer, Female Cenobite. It's like she still yeah. didn't get the upgrade, man. <laughs> yeah, and she's so interchangeable that they just change the actress and the look. Uh, and it's like, you'll whatever, you fucking deal with it. It's a woman. You won't care. Well, but I almost wonder in a way, though, if that is indicative of like a, I don't know, you could say like slave-like nature, where it's just like, uh, she she doesn't even have a name. She's just a fucking female. Like, I wonder if that's... Yeah, but she she's you know one mean? of the torturers, though. Yeah, I guess I true. don't know, though. Like, one of, like, that's one of her main features is that her, her throat has been clawed away, essentially. Yeah. So, like, yeah, maybe she's supposed to be a uh, story of O type of submissive. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe, but it, I but don't know. But maybe not. It, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, dude, we're talking about a movie that was made in late 80s, early 90s. It's like things weren't exactly the best for women yet. They're still they, aren't, but, you know. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> like they're the best they're for the women. They're the golden age now. You know what? <laughs> I don't know how much has changed. No, honestly. Yeah, exactly. I I don't know if because like in the nineties, um, there were a lot of shows starring women. Like I think back to this all the time and think like, what happened? There were so many shows starring women yeah. and so many black shows. And yeah, really. Black, like there were shows full of black actors. Yeah. And it was just normal. We didn't, like, people weren't up in arms that, it, like, you turn on Fox one night and it's it, it, Living Single and... Uh, Cosby. You know, Co- no, Cosby was on NBC with with uh, that uh, show where his daughter went to college, mm-hmm, which yeah. was an all-black college. Like, there were so many shows that were just all-black. Uh, That's true. Amen, 227, The Jeffersons, like... But then here we are, like, 30 years later, and you see a show like Blackish, and you're like, oh, good for the blacks, they got a show. It's like... Yeah. Di- <sighs> God damn it. What happened? What happened in between? Where did we lose Murphy Brown and, and, and Roseanne? Oh, yeah. well, Roseanne came back. Thank God. The woman who I believe has said she supports Trump. Jesus Christ, did she really... I believe so. I'm not going to say that for sure. I will just look that up while uh, you say words. Yeah. Damn, <laughs> dude. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing. So yeah, I don't know with the with the female Cenobite thing. That's that's one of those issues that I would like to know more about. I would like to know why they didn't give her a name, if that was intentional or not. Um, another weird change that they made too is they gave the Chatterer eyes. Did you notice that? Yeah, but not every scene, and that's even worse. I know. They only man. give him the eyes. I think in that final scene when uh-huh. they the Cenobites get killed. Yep, I think and become I'm their sure human too. selves for for whatever reason. By the way, uh, Roseanne and Dan in the show voted for Trump. That that's the thing. Jesus. Anyway, but um, yeah, like the Cenobites, um, the the Chatterer looks different. Uh, Butterball looks pretty much the same. Pinhead looks the same. And then the female Cenobite is a different person. Yeah. 
Now that scene in there where Chenard again, and this this is kind of a flaw of the movie too, I think, is that in the first one the Cenobites were these like you know, unknowable, all-powerful, fucking incredible beings yeah, and stuff. Yeah, weird angel demons, yeah. Yeah, but in this, Chenard, who's kind of new to the job, just shows up and, like, murders them all instantly with yeah. no resistance, no nothing. Yeah, like, the the thing, Leviathan turned him into a Cenobite to kill the other Cenobites? Is yeah. that what happens? What? Like, I don't, yeah, that doesn't make sense. No, like, why would he be killing them and stuff? Although, I do... And again, that goes back to the rules thing we were talking about earlier. Uh, apparently, the rule is is that even when you die in hell, you revert back to your old form. I, I, don't, I don't fucking know. Okay, that made no sense. No. And also, uh, that that is... Okay, so that little boy that became the Chatterer... I think that's fucking interesting, personally. A lot of people hate that, but I think that's rad. It is interesting. Uh, I, that means that would be like a the good son type of little boy, like an totally. evil, like the omen type of little boy. This is an evil little boy. Yeah, like a That's like a young a young Dahmer or something like that. I, I yeah, I like the idea that somehow there's some kind of backstory there that there was some little kid that was mm-hmm. somehow twisted and warped at such an yeah. early age that he somehow got a hold of the box or became a Cenobite through the unknowing process of how you become a Cenobite that's never really clearly defined. Yeah. Um, I, I like that that was his image of what he would be and, and so on. He'd be this blind, biting, chattering thing. I think that that's fucking cool. Apparently the guy yeah. that um that played the chatterer really did not like that uh and he apparently wrote a short story that you can find online uh-huh of the chatterer's backstory and he was that's like awesome it's pretty rad that's like like the guy it. from uh friday the 13th part two Remember yeah i told you about the short story he wrote exactly yeah, like, exactly that's interesting apparently his story was that he was like a fucking stand-up comedian in the in the 30s or something i don't know the whole story i'll have to read it but huh. So like a chattering teeth type of yeah you know the joke chattering teeth thing. I guess okay. so I I, I yeah. assume but personally I think that it's really cool and and demented yeah that it's that a it's little a boy. kid I think that's fucking rad because you just see it for like just a second and you're like what the fuck and then it yeah, moves was on that a kid yeah, yeah he has a bowl cut smoking bowl <laughs> he does a smoking bowl um that that's that's the thing though about the Cenobites is that if if you know as it says earlier that uh you know you have to be the one who wills the the puzzle box open like that means that each of those cenobites both willed the puzzle box open yeah. and found their way to the leviathan to become cenobites i guess so which means they're not innocent so the 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 thing we're seeing about that little boy is that it's demented that it's a little boy. Yeah. But the thing that scene shows us is that Pinhead becomes human again and then has this, like, knowing glance with Kirsty, like, we both know we're innocent. Well, it's that it's it's, Dar- they tried to Darth Vader his ass. Yeah, and it's like, what the fuck? He, he's not innocent. He can't be innocent and become a Cenobite. Yeah. He was seeking this out. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 element doesn't really make the pinhead character cooler to me. 
Well, yeah, and that that might be why people would get pissed about it being a little boy because it then implicates that uh, or indicates that well, it can still be an accident, but you become a Cenobite. Oh, I see. Like what you mean. we see it as that would be awesome. It, it, this is an evil little kid, but the, what it sort of indicates is that no, this is just a kid that got caught up in it for some reason. Even though we specifically say in this movie. <laughs> that the person who opens the box isn't the one you're after. It's the one who wills the box open. Yeah, exactly. I will say, though, that, I mean, I've Doug Bradley fucking kills it in this movie, and he has so many yeah. lines that are beautiful and fucked up. Like the whole, you know, mm. your suffering will be legendary even in hell. That's badass, dude. That seems legendary to me. He's got some great lines, and Julia does too. Like Pinhead, um, I don't, I don't oh. know. It's like they did some cool stuff with him in this. Yeah, uh, Julia says, "Come to mother," which is like yeah, you know stretch. the. Uh, well, yeah, but I, uh, here's the thing: "Come to mother" is the reciprocating statement to "Come to daddy." Yeah. Because come to daddy is gross and sexual. Yeah. Come to mother is gross and sexual. Yeah. <laughs> like, like come to daddy is gross in that, like, I want the person I'm having sex with to think of me as their daddy. Yeah. But come to mother is like, no, no, no. You, my son, come over here and have sex with Ugh. me. Like, it's gross. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't hit the same way come to daddy does so it's like a stretch and not it maybe not worth it cuz they don't repeat it it's not like it's not like with Frank it was like that was the way to know it was Frank yeah was that he said come to daddy that's his line yeah yeah cuz when he put on uh you know his brother's skin yeah. and he said come to daddy that's what made it clear oh no no that's Frank what do you think about Chenard's Cenobite character that he becomes lamest of the Cenobites I think but also uh, the one with the most interesting powers yeah because the others don't have powers yeah <laughs> like, he, he's got these crazy fucking tentacles that come out of his hands yeah. that can become knives and eyes that knives come out of and he's just a Freddy Krueger ripoff and I'll tell you how yeah um He's got some statements that I would like to read that I think will indicate that he is, in fact, the lamest Cenobite and a Freddy Krueger ripoff. His zingers, dude. You got a list of his zingers? Yeah. Um. He, he says, surgery is over. What is today's agenda? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Evisceration. Yeah, evisceration. Oh, my God. Um. He says... Your case is closed, Tiffany. I'm afraid it's terminal. Oh, doesn't he have something there about, like, anesthesia is not an option or something like this? <laughs> I think so. I didn't write it down, maybe. But I like, just imagine him, like, in his former life as a doctor. Yeah. Him being, like, mid-surgery, working on somebody and stuff like this, and just having an idea for, like, something that maybe one day he might say if he became a Cenobite. Yeah. Like, he's got, like, a ream of, like, note cards of just, like... Mm -hmm. You know, the doctor is in and shit like that, like written down like cool stuff to say as Cenobite volume one. Yeah, <laughs> it would be really funny to see a scene where he says the doctor is in and Tiffany's like, uh, and he's like, oh, hold on. Um, oh, okay. 
I'm going to perform an autopsy on you while still alive. And Tiffany's like, that's a <laughs> uh, little clunky. Sounds scripted. Oh. All right. You've been um, practicing hmm. this? Because <laughs> his zingers are crazy. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, that, zingers. It is. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that's what, like... That's the thing about Dr. Chenard. The moment that you learn everything about him before he becomes a Cenobite, you're like, okay, this could be an interesting character. The moment yeah. he becomes a Cenobite, he loses anything interesting. He's yeah. no longer interesting because all he is is like fucking a doctor quips. And yeah. he has powers that none of the other Cenobites have, which make me think like, why? why okay, so... Is there some deeper story where the Leviathan wants to create this army? Like, Julia is part of his army, and now Dr. Chenard part of his army, and these other Cenobites know. are, like, not his creation. Demoted. Someone else created. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's Is it kind of like when you get a new dog, and, like, the old dog just kind of sucks after that? I just don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> is that is that your experience? No, I, I, I hate our new dog, Zora. I hate that yeah. dog. <laughs> it's made me bond with the old dog more because we both don't like Zora. Yeah, you guys just sit around and talk shit about it. We do. We just hang out yeah. and just look at it like, what a bitch. Ah, I hate that Zora. Actually, she that's a good call, though. She is, in fact, a bitch. She, uh, you know, literally. I do like the whole, like, with Chenard, I think it's kind of cool that he has this, like, penis tentacle attached to his head. I like the, um, it yeah. looks like he has, like, wires, like, pressed into his face. I think that's yeah, pretty sick. Yeah, it's a cool look. It's a real cool look. And it's a real cool idea if, if like, okay, so let's say instead of what we were saying earlier where they just don't go to hell, let's yeah. say they still go to hell. And Dr. Chenard is the villain, and the Cenobites are just off to the side. Like, they run into them. There's a side story about them. Mm. But if Chenard were to run into them, he would be defeated because they are much more adept in hell. They've been at the job a, a while longer. Yeah, exactly. So, like, instead of having Chenard just easily destroy these four Cenobites, just, like have him constantly trying to avoid them. Yeah, and also, right. like, uh, again, like, the Cenobites shouldn't be villainous in this, and they shouldn't be friends either. Right. In the end, we get that sort of friendly moment that yeah. I was talking about before. They shouldn't have that either. They mm -hmm. should be in the middle. These ambiguous, ambivalent, we're, we're here if you want us. Yeah. But, but horrifying, yeah. Yeah, it would be real interesting if there was, like, a relationship between Tiffany and the Cenobites or something. That would, like, make that character more interesting, yeah. where maybe she's silent because she sees them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, you could do cool stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. You could have... This could have been a good movie. Instead, it's just got some real cool visuals that don't come together as, as an interesting story. Well, let me ask you, too. What do you think about the visualization of hell itself and leviathan as the the god of hell i like how they specifically don't refer to him as satan or the devil but he is yeah. the the king of hell so to speak i think that that's pretty sick yeah and it, hell itself is just a labyrinth yeah uh where like in the thing that you get to in the center is leviathan himself which would mean that you would fight 
through hell trying to find an end and when you get to the end what you find is in fact the ruler of hell himself which is hellish and wonderful and there so much about it is mc escher inspired yeah, oh obviously in fact yeah. There's an MC Escher uh, poster on the wall in Tiffany's room. Yeah, they show the the birds transforming. Yeah, many yeah, times. the the figure ground uh, situation there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's got a cool look to it, and that is a cool idea that you fight through this maze, and the only thing you come to is the King of Hell himself. So obviously, you've been fighting for nothing, and you know your spirit would be absolutely destroyed. And hell would be terrible after that, right? <laughs> Do you like that the Leviathan is a non-humanoid? It's just like this giant diamond yeah. thing. I, li- I like that because it implies the extra dimensionality that yeah. really comes out in the first one. That it's like the thing that, that rules hell isn't something you could even relate to. I, I like that too. Yeah, like I-, I-, I listened to a lot of other reviews and stuff about the movie that were like, what the fuck? The king of hell is like this fucking diamond thing floating in the sky, and I'm like, no, I think that's cool because yeah, that's the that's the best part. Yeah, there's that- there's no way you could personify that and make it cool enough other than Tim Curry and Legend. Oh yeah, oh, and, yeah, those and, huge horns. I'll yeah, do it. I mean, dude, by that time that's already been done, so you can't do that. So to <laughs> me, the fact that they made Leviathan this unknowable, weird fucking. Uh, non-humanoid item that just floats in the sky. I think that that's actually way cooler than any humanoid type creature they could have portrayed. So I personally think that's really cool. And and the the cool part of that story is that the the puzzle box to basically solve the the Leviathan is a shard that Pinhead gives to. Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kirstie. Yeah. And so the thing is that it it indicates maybe there's this story that could be a great movie itself where the Cenobites are, uh, I don't know, you know, doing their thing on the outer realms of experience. Uh, and here comes Leviathan who's trying to take over their realm mm-hmm. and they need help from the human realm to solve the puzzle box or whatever that will make him go away because they want to just continue experiencing, you know, their their pain and suffering or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that that's a fine movie. It's not a good movie. It's a it's still a bad movie, but it's a more coherent movie than this one. Yeah. I think so too, man. What do you think about the ending of the movie when the movers are there and the the kind of pain pillar Pops up uh, with the fucking like that looks dollar so store bad. baby doll and yeah, it has a dollar store baby doll and uh a, like a, a bargain bin skeleton that laughs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah. Oh God, man. And, but the it's not like a face laughing. It's like they have a laugh sound and the thing's just moving. Yeah. Which yeah. indicates it's laughing, I guess. Yeah, that looks terrible. And then the face of the guy who gave the cricket guy. Yeah, the cricket guy who, who, like, I guess became a demon at the end of the first one. Dude. It, and, you know, the fir- the end of the first one is no fucking cinematic masterpiece when you have this fucking cricket-eating bum turn into Wayne Damon. Yeah, and also the Cenobites, you know, doing suddenly becoming evil for no reason. And yeah. exploding with horrible animation and stuff. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Let's not romanticize the end of that first. The first no. one's terrible, but... 
this is just dumb, dude. And I really love that. <laughs> I mean, the scene is set as you have all these movers and stuff that are coming in to like unpack, uh, or rather to pack up all of the boxes and stuff that have been packed. But they go uh-huh. in the one room and there's all the like packed up moving boxes and shit right next to this bloody mattress with chains all over it that they somehow, I guess, overlooked like, well, I'm not, I don't see this. I'm going to pack up these books in this box or whatever. <laughs> like, why is there all this shit that's neatly packed up and stacked, but they have ignored the mattress? A bloody dude? mattress? Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. And no. why is the mattress like... Okay, so everything in that room has been packed. Yeah. Did Does the... Uh, is it possible okay i i'm gonna go out of my way to make this try to make sense is it possible that the mattress appeared at the will of the cenobites but then that still doesn't make sense like they can't move a mattress yeah those cenobites you you know what i've never seen them even pick anything up (laughs) the one the one physical attempt ever made by a cenobite i have seen was butterball Attempted to karate chop the boyfriend in the first one, but the ceiling fell on him. <laughs> yeah, that did happen. And it's yeah. every bit as cool as what you just described. Yeah, it's exactly that cool. <laughs> so, Ben, what did you think about this movie? If you were going to rate it, give me your final thoughts. Yeah, you know, I again, there's things about this movie that I really liked, specifically things within the first half of the movie, maybe even the first, like, 40 minutes. I I like the idea of this sadistic doctor and, again, the expanding of the lore of he's hip to this rumor of this box. And I think that that's rad, and I think they could have made a perfectly cool, competent movie that just took place... You know, predominantly here on Earth with him summoning Julia and Julia manipulating him and shit. Like, that could have been fine. That could have been totally okay. Um, there's a lot of stuff that happened in this movie, but it, I don't feel like the movie went anywhere to advance Kirsty and Julia mm-hmm. and the Cenobites and... Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. Like I said, the first half of the movie was really promising, and then I feel like once they reach hell... It's just convoluted as as fuck. It's like it's two different mm-hmm. movies or something like that. Um, it it almost feels like this weird dark fantasy movie when they're in the labyrinth. Feels like fucking labyrinth, you know? It does. That's true. Yeah, it's kind of right there, right there on the nose. So, I don't, I don't know. Um, that scene of Julia coming through the mattress to me is legendary. Like that's that's to me one it's of the really good. Yeah, that's that's up there with some of the best scenes, you know, it's like, that's the, that's up there with like the fucking blood elevator in the shining and the meat hook and Texas chainsaw. And to me, a lot of those other classic movie moments, I think that that moment is so warped and depraved and fucked up. It's just a shame that a lot of the stuff that's after it doesn't make sense with the characters. I mean, yeah, uh, like we said, it's like, I love the ambiguity of the Cenobites and then they just, kind of decided that they would be cooler as baddies, and that's missing the point so bad. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of lost potential, I think, in this flick. There's cool parts that I like, but I don't know, man. It's like it's not that long of a movie, but I was watching it with, with Kate the other night, and it's one of those deals where we just kind of both had hit the same wavelength like simultaneously. She just turns to me at one point while 
Kirsty and Tiffany are running through the labyrinth, and she just goes, this is boring. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I was just yeah. thinking that. Like, It is. I didn't feel excited or exhilarated or like on the edge of my seat at all. Like, what the fuck's going to happen? Like, there's none of that uh, towards the end of don't the movie. Don't care what happens. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, don't care. Some of the gore is cool. I love Chenard getting, you know, like half his head ripped off. That's metal as fuck. Yeah, that was a cool ending, yeah. And I'll I'll mention, too, I think the thing about Chenard that I really did like the most, though, the mix on his voice. Uh, his mm. voice as a Cenobite is so weird. And, like, you remember that part where he screams and there's, like, that weird, like, vibrato on his scream? Uh-huh. It's like it's got a weird Leslie effect or a chorusing kind of effect on his voice that sounds just unnervingly inhuman. Um, I really love his voice mix. That's a weird thing to hone in on, but to me, I think that's really fucking cool. And again, I love Child Chatterer. That fucks with my mind so bad. But over- it does. overall, it's just not... It's just not very good. It has so many cool elements, and it just doesn't really come together that well so I, I think overall if I'm going to give it a number it's probably like five it's watchable mm. It's watchable, but I'm not revved up to see it again okay Um, I think the one thing we haven't talked about is the music in this it's yeah. by Christopher Young who did the music for Hellraiser 1 yeah it's not as good as the first music the first music has that epic theme that I love so it's much it's not it he does a good job though. It's still it's, still, it's good. still still good. I think maybe it's hard to match good music with uh bad goings on on the screen. Yeah. If nothing on the screen is interesting, it's real hard to make your music sound good. Yeah. Um and that's the problem with this movie is that it's not interesting. Yeah. It doesn't like it doesn't explore the avenues that it opens up that would have been interesting. Yeah, it's like there's there was areas right there in front of you that would have been easy to explore. Yeah, exactly. Instead it's it's just trying to I guess give us a backstory of Pinhead cuz they were like I guess people liked him. Um and that his backstory is not like they could have cut that easily. Yeah. They could have cut all like I hate that element of the story that she uh Kirsty finds a picture of Pinhead before he was Pinhead and shows it to him and that like makes them all remember they were once human which somehow like redeems them. Yeah. It's it's idiotic. Um the Tiffany character reminds me of the like psychic character from that one um Friday the 13th hell yeah or of uh the the dream child from absolutely uh, Nightmare on Elm Street yep. and she is a she is just an amalgamate like they were just trying to be like what have these other horror movies done that was like interesting she also looks like if you turned Brad Pitt into a female she kind of <laughs> does uh, I would like to see her eat every time she talks. That would help me understand that she might be more or less like Brad Pitt because he <laughs> he loves eating when yeah. talking. I really didn't like any. 
moment of this movie yeah. fully. Okay. Like I, I like even even the best moment as you were talking about her coming out of the mattress and like all of that. The the thing is that the the patient he puts on the the mattress mm-hmm. when it when it zooms close to sort of his skin that he's cutting away at it looks like foam every time he cuts it nothing there's no like trail or anything it's just like him like running this dull blade along his skin and there's not like uh like any indication that the flesh is being cut no no blood trail or anything it's just that blood is is being like added to the scene on him yeah. yeah added onto the scene um but that that scene does get real good when she starts to come out of the mattress that's the best part and the the most interesting part but like it's almost like the director didn't know why it was the most interesting part because he adds in the fact that that other doctor is behind the curtain for some reason oh yeah see it's like we, we went this whole time and didn't even talk about yeah, that that's guy. the least it's interesting character of all time. Yeah, yeah, he's he's Kyle is his name. He's up there with Steve from the first one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so like useless, but like the scene seems to be focused on him. The scene seems to be focused on we're supposed to feel tense that they might find him, but we in fact are supposed to feel tense about the fact that a demon woman crawled out of a mattress and is sucking the life out of a person who was cutting his body with a razor. That's fucked up. Don't fuck around, uh, Tony Randall, director of Hellbound Hellraiser 2, uh, and not much else. Don't fuck around and pretend like the tension is that there's somebody behind that curtain. The thing that's happening is fucking insane and tense. Right. So that and that's what happens in this movie a lot is that the 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 tense parts are not the parts that we as viewers would assume are going to be the tense parts. The the meeting of Kirsty and Frank um is so muted. Like you would think that like okay, maybe you make a movie where Kirsty runs into Frank at the end. Like you find out Frank is the one who's putting this all together and making this all happen. Yeah, exactly. From hell. That's but cool. instead, no, it's just it's like 30 minutes into the movie and then Frank is gone and it's over. Yeah, dude. He's there for like one five minute scene that doesn't account to anything other than, oh, there's Frank again. Yeah. And Julia gets undercut, I think. Her badass performance in the first and her good performance in this gets undercut by the fact that her character's not well written. I think to me, and this is uh this is maybe a little lower than I might have thought when I came in, but I'm gonna say this is a four yeah. at best. Yeah. I understand entirely, man. I mean, like I said, it's like there's just certain elements in here that I'm such a sucker for that I'll give it I'll give it more points than it probably deserves for because it's really just not a, a sensible movie in a lot of ways yeah. um i will say it's so much better than the bullshit that follows it have you watched all those other yeah. sequels i have not Fuck, and, um, they're horrible i'm not excited to <laughs> no dude i mean if you think that this movie bends the logic of the rules of this universe fuck wait until you get into like hellraiser six or seven i mean they're just garbage <laughs> they're just garbage movies 
I will try to avoid that as much as possible. <laughs> you probably should. Now, next week on the show, we are going to be dipping our toes in the international waters again and uh, watch a movie that I'm excited to see again because I haven't seen this for probably, I, I bet it's been eight or nine years now. And you have never seen next week's flick, right? I have never seen this movie ever. It's a little, uh, I believe it's a Korean horror flick, right? Yeah, it's our first Korean horror movie. Oh, yep. rad, man. It's called I Saw the Devil. Yeah, and that, that is an exclamation that makes me think I'd like to hear about it. Yeah, no doubt, man. I uh, I watched it a couple of years ago with my buddy Brandon, old Brandon Suttles there. And uh-huh. I remember really, really digging a lot of parts about it, and especially one or two particular scenes I can still recall in my head because they're fucking crazy. But I don't really remember much of like what this movie is about, actually. So I look forward to watching it again mm-hmm. and checking it out. Uh, we've watched yeah. a number of other great international horror flicks on our show, starting, I think, with Audition, and we've also done several different Argento Phenomena flicks. is, I think, our first episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. I guess I was thinking, yeah, yeah. And uh, we've also covered, well, we did um, something else international recently. We've, uh, well, we did Suspiria. We did The Ring, and we talked a lot about Ringu. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So we enjoy ourselves an international horror flick. Uh, uh, high Tension and shit, too. That's the one I was trying to think of. yeah. So this should be a lot of fun, so be sure to tune in next week for that episode. In the meantime, Steve, where can these people write us up and drop us some suggestions? Uh, last week we covered Baskin, another international flick. Mm-hmm. I Saw the Devil is one we also got from Facebook um, suggestions. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We, we love doing those because people have suggested flicks that I've either never seen or haven't seen in a long time, so you guys please keep them coming because we like to keep you guys happy. Where can they hit us up? Uh, you can always email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. Also, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at deadlovelypod. We also have a Facebook group. Yeah, and that Facebook group is popping lately. Yeah, yeah. I liked old Roger Miller posting that thing about what was your favorite movie of, uh, what was it? 1981. 81. Yeah. That was, that's a great little thing. We should repost that on Instagram choice, yeah. and just see what our fans think. Yeah. Um, I... Evil Dead is what I choose for best of 1981, but that's a tough choice because that it was is. a good year for horror, yeah. Oh, dude, so much good shit. So, yeah, you guys, please hit us up. Let us know what you want to see next on the show. Uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars, all one word. Where can they find you, Steve? Uh, at Stevens Bratling, that's Steven with an S, the only way to spell it. Like you do. Please go on iTunes, rate and review our show. It makes a big difference, helps us show up on those searches and stuff and it just takes a second of your time so please go on itunes rate and review just takes a minute keep it g-rated uh you guys have been absolutely just goddamn fucking delightful oh my god you have tore us in half it's a slobber knocker uh (laughs) and we have been dead and lovely so thank you guys again so much for watching and uh we'll see you next week we have such sights to show you Come to daddy. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.